Make sure to check out the video version of this podcast at youtube.com slash game of microphones. See everything you're missing. and draw your swords. It's Game of Microphones. With Sir Duncan the Fearsome. Good morrow, dragon thieves and dagger wielders, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, Shadow on the Clouds. And I'm Lord Zack, newly minted dragon rider. Oh, is that you back there? I thought I felt something climbing around on my back. (laughs) Welcome to episode 127. On this episode, we're covering House of the Dragon season one, episode seven, Driftmark. And in case you're not already aware, this podcast is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen all previously aired episodes of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. If not, there's still time to roast your ears and all other identifying features away in a fireplace so you don't have to hear these spoilers. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Fear not, friends. If you haven't read Fire and Blood, we'll only be covering events of the Dance of Dragons that have already come to pass on the TV show. So no book spoilers or anything like that ahead. And if you're enjoying our coverage of House of the Dragon and our complete series rewatch of Game of Thrones, which covers every episode in depth, please consider taking the black and helping us to get out of the red by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash gompodcast or by making a one-time donation to keep our show alive at paypal.me slash gompodcast. Without any further ado, let's get into our top five highlights of House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 7, Driftmark. <laughs> Blood has been spilt. Woo! <laughs> sides are forming. On both sides, blood has been spilt. <laughs> oh yeah, true. A little bit, at least. <laughs> what are your thoughts overall on this episode, Lord Zach? Wow, man, really, really <laughs> powerful. I mean, just tense. The whole, like, the whole time I was watching it, I was like, my fists were just, like, <laughs> just in a ball. Yeah. like. Like, just what's going to, I mean, with Vagar, with the kids fighting, with the whole confrontation in the Hall of Nine, it's just the whole time. And then even at the end, as the everybody's leaving back for uh, Viserys and Allison and the kids 
are leaving for King's Landing. Uh, Damon and Rhaenyra are still on Driftmark, plotting and planning. It's just like this is all this tension and build up to the dance. It's just like every single week, it's just more and more and more and more. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Tons of tension. Very, very anxiety provoking uh, just as everything's going on. The whole time I was just, you know, sitting there like, oh, my God, as well. So I know exactly uh, what you're <laughs> what you're talking about. What was your number five this week? Uh, my number five is uh, Valyrian Steel Cuts Clean. Oh, nice. Um, I mean, it just that that of all the daggers I had, you know, I was trying to avoid, you know, all all the spoilery, you know, still shots. And I think this scene was in some of the trailers. Yeah, it not was. the whole scene, but just that clip of Alicent, you know, coming at somebody at the camera, you know, is all we could tell. Yep. I mean, I was ninety eight percent sure that she was coming at Rhaenyra. Trollop. Um she had it with, coming with uh, <laughs> with 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 a, with a knife. I just never really thought about it being the dagger. Oh. The cat's ball dagger. Aegon's yeah, yeah, dagger yeah. being I was like, she wouldn't dare try to take the dagger from the king and then <laughs> use it to attack somebody. Oh, yeah. I, I knew but, it was that blade because I recognized the shape of that dagger any place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I never really looked that closely at it because I'm like, oh, that's kind of, you know, not spoilery because they're putting it in the promotional materials. But yeah, I try to I'll watch the trailers, but I'm not looking for to see any, you know, deep dives into the trailers. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so when she pulled that dagger from the king's belt, I was like, oh, this she is crazy, <laughs> crazy town, crazy town. To take the it king's dagger nuts. off of him, as once as he has said multiple times, you know, this, the matter is resolved. You know, obviously it's not resolved, but he, he wants it to be resolved. Yeah, and, for sure. I mean, she just goes streaking across the room. The, the king's guards start yelling orders, so oh, protect the king. And then they, Rhaenyra and Alicent, come together right there in the center of the room. And Rhaenyra grabs it the same way the Night King kind of grabs the hand of Arya. Oh, when she comes yeah. flying through, flying through, and she, you know, Rhaenyra he gets her by Allison's the throat hand. too, right? One around the throat and one around yeah, the dagger. Yeah, one around the throat, and, just like uh, Aemon caught the, the caught Lucerys by the throat when he was coming in. Yeah, at him. I noticed that. I noticed <laughs> that in that fight too. I'm like, oh, bro, he just like caught him by the throat, <laughs> Night so King cool. style. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we can cover the, that scene a little bit later, oh, yeah. but like they come, they have this conversation, and they're just like, you know, they're vying for you know leverage and control, you know over the knife and Rainier is trying to not get killed or cut. And Allison <laughs> is just like bringing it. Um, and then as they release and you hear that cut and you're like, Oh, something's Rhaenyra. Obviously Rhaenyra has gotten cut and she just kind of stands there and bleeds for a second. And, um, you know, there's blood running down her hand and then she kind of grabs it a little bit later on. They're still, <laughs> as the scene concludes, she's still standing there. And at one point, one of the boys, uh, Jace or Luke, has his hand kind of on her hand. I'm like, that kid's going to have blood all over him. Um, <laughs> It'll be trueborn blood, though. So, you know, upgrade. Yeah, exactly. But when we, <laughs> when, we when they go back, the maester is is uh, stitching Rhaenyra up. And, uh, of course, he says, uh, you will scar, uh, but the wound will heal. Valyrian steel cuts clean. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, you, you had had when Emma... Well, they were doing the C-section on Emma in episode one. Oh, you had right. said that, uh, 
you know, that that may have been, been the best tool <clears throat> that the maesters could have used uh, for that operation. But anyway, they um, and when we after the confrontation and uh, Allison drops the blade, there's no blood on it that we see. And then Kristen Cole picks it up. So probably it cut so quick and so clean and so deep. I mean, in a millisecond that like Rainier probably didn't even start bleeding. Like if you, if you cut yourself with something sharp, you know, depending on where you cut yourself a right, lot of times, yeah, that's true. you won't even start bleeding for like two or three seconds, maybe longer. So the blade just, whoosh, just cut through her sleeve and her skin. Yeah. And sometimes you don't even start bleeding until the wound like separates again. You know, it's right, like it starts so to, clean that the veins go right back together. <laughs> it's like, yeah, your body doesn't even realize what has happened yet. <laughs> yeah. So um, there wasn't even any blood on the blade, but it did. Oh, you know what it reminds me of? The scene from Cube, the opening scene from Cube. You ever see that movie? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Oh, it's such a cool movie. These people wake up and they're inside of a, a room that's like a cube. And you know, this one guy wakes up in the beginning and uh, there's a, a door on the center of each wall and the ceiling and the floor. And you open the door by like twisting this this uh, like kind of like a safe lock type thing, and it <laughs> opens and slides to the side. And he looks into the next chamber, and it's like the sa same exact chamber that he's in, but just a different color, ambient light. And he's like, "What the fuck?" And he climbs through into the other chamber, and just trying to figure out how to get the hell out of here because he doesn't know where he is or anything. And this like like um oh, this like woven wire unfolds and. <laughs> slices them all up and he kind of stands there for a second you know until like pieces just start falling off all over it. the place it's so cool crazy uh, yeah sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there no, you're fine. That uh, so we got to see. Uh, we've seen it several times now, but we got to see it in action. We got to see it draw that Valyrian steel dagger. We got to see it draw blood. And um, some people are like, "Oh, well, maybe now that it's drawn blood, Rhaenyra's blood, the princess who was promised, uh, maybe now it's <laughs> now it's Lightbringer 2.0." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Princess says promised. I don't know. That's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. Anything she was else? The promise, she was the princess who was promised the throne. Oh, I, yeah, but that would be the throne that was promised to the princess, right? The, I guess yeah. if you leave off the last words, it could be the yeah, princess so, that was yeah. promised Play the throne. Words. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Anything else you want to add about the dagger and the sharpness of Valyrian steel? No, I don't think so. Not right now. It was interesting that Kristen Cole picked up the dagger also out of everybody that yeah, was there like, and just kind of hands yeah, on to it. He don't deserve it. <laughs> oh, man. And give that back to the king. That was a crazy moment for sure. So um, my number five is legacy versus life. And we see this sort of duel between those who are more into their legacy and what they're going to be leaving behind and those who are more interested in their lives as they're living it. So, for instance, uh, a lot of this takes place at the wedding. And we get Corliss talking to Lucerus, the younger of the, the yeah, at the, at the funeral. Sorry. Yeah, thank you. You said wedding. Oh, wedding, <laughs> wedding. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> goddamn. Yeah, there is so, a wedding at the end. I didn't think about that. True, true. So, the, so we're at the funeral. 
and Corliss is talking to Luceris, who this week I've learned his, his name. Last week I couldn't remember his name for the life of me, but they call him Luke. And, uh, you know, who is your father? <laughs> and Robin Strong. <laughs> and yeah, so Corliss is talking to him and he says, both my seat and high tide will be yours one day, Luceris. And immediately I got the Lion King vibes. A king's time as ruler rises and falls like the sun. One day, Simba, the sun will set on my time here and will rise with you as the new king. Both my seat and high tide will be yours one day, Luceris. And this will all be mine? Everything. Everything the light touches. Sorry, I don't want to. Nice. Yes. <laughs> so, so he's like, he's telling him, you know, your brother's going to be king, of course, and he'll sit on endless councils and ceremonies, but the Lord of Tides rules the sea. And he's like talking up how cool, like, yeah, he's going to be king and that's badass, but being Lord of the Tides kicks ass, you know, and <laughs> high tide kicks ass and you're going to dig Driftmark. And Luceris is like, sorry. I don't want it. And he's like, what? How is this possible? It's your birthright, lad. And he points out, if I'm the Lord of Driftmark, it means everyone's dead. <laughs> right? And it's like an epic moment where he shows how everybody is so fixated on their future and their legacy that they're neglecting their time here and how important it is to, to be with each other. And, you know, Coralis is trying to provide for the wants of of his children, but all the children really want are their parents and families here and now. And this is made all the more poignant by this interaction occurring at a funeral where they're losing one of their family members and Luke in his head is just like extrapolating this, like how many more funerals am I going to have to go to before (laughs) that point? You know, like, Mm -hmm. and Corliss has a great reaction. He's like dumbfounded by the profundity of the statement by little Luke. Wisdom from the mouth of babes, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, we get another angle on this shortly thereafter when Viserys goes to speak with Damon in a particularly sad scene to, <laughs> to add insult to injury of the sadness of already being at a funeral scene. And uh, they're relating over the, the, their anguish in life as the gods have been cruel to both of them with the deaths of their wives and everything. And Viserys is opening himself up to Damon and saying that he should return t- to King's Landing and that it's, it's time that he came home, you know, and, and Damon's getting all like um, indignant about it. And he's like, you know, Pentos is my home and that of my children. And Viserys is really, you know, opening his heart to him at this moment, telling him, like, he's like, Damon, I know we've had our differences, but let them pass with the years. A great way to phrase that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a place for you in my court, if that's something you should need. And it's, it's you know, we've talked about Viserys being a tragic figure before. And he really is such a tragic figure. He's He was raised in Pax Westerosi, you know, <laughs> Jaehaerys' legacy of a long term of peace mirroring Pax Romana. And 
He's done his best to preserve and uphold that legacy of peace. And the realm, it's like working with the realm. You know, the realm is peaceful. The, the kingdoms are getting along, except Dorne, which isn't part really of the kingdoms <laughs> at this point. Um, so he's been successful in that regard, but he just can't seem to make peace within his own family. And mm -hmm. uh, it's like he's the last dam holding back the inevitable tide of war that's about to sweep over King's Landing and take the kingdoms by storm. And uh, Damon is not having it. He's like, I, I need nothing, you know, and, and storms off kind of like pouting, looking all dour, <laughs> which is hilarious to see. Yeah, same um, way when, when Viserys tried to send him help on the Stepstones. True, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, I need nothing. I don't need your help. I'm not going to use your help. I'm going to go do this on my own. Good point, yeah. And last week I talked about how it's like he, he had almost like given up on needing Viserys' approval and wanting to make a name for himself in Westeros. And he saw, sees the opportunity in Pentos as a way that he can like forge his own destiny with his dragon and mirror egg on the conqueror in his own like miniaturized way. Um, but <laughs> we got a couple, three instances of people saying brother, <laughs> like right in a row here. Uh, when, when Corliss tells Carl, go retrieve your patron. And Vaymond is like, brother, you know, like chill bro. And then here Viserys is trying to, you know, win Damon's heart and his sympathy as he's walking away. And he's like, brother, you know, come on, brother. <laughs> and then also mm -hmm. when uh, when Amond rats out Aegon <laughs> to Otto Hightower. And he drops a dime. Yeah, he like stomps him and rips him up. And Aegon's like, brother. <laughs> you know, so three people calling out brother with different like motivations and emotions. Yeah. But here with Viserys, it's, uh, it's super sad to see him constantly struggling to try to connect with his blood kin. You know, last week we saw him crying over Emma's ring uh, and just in, in such rough emotional shape, you know, triggered by Rhaenyra leaving him in King's Landing and moving to Dragonstone. It seemed to dredge up the memories of losing Emma. And, uh, here, Damon's walking away from him also. He's trying to regain his, his blood kin who just keep estranging themselves or, or dying in different ways. And um, it's, it's so obvious that with Viserys being willing to overlook the situation of the bastardy of the heirs to the throne, you know, uh, Rhaenyra's heirs, all he cares about, more than anything else, more than legacy, is his family and the things that are happening around him at, the, at, at this time. He loves his family more than anything, and all he wants is for them to be united and to love and cherish and appreciate each other while they're still here, in contrast to Corliss, who's obsessing over future and legacy. Uh, Viserys is obsessed with with the here and the now, longing for his family, remindful of Lucerus when he's like, I don't want Driftmark. That means all of you will be gone. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. Yeah. And so it's like, what is a throne, a title, a castle, a lordship or kingship with no family at your side to enjoy it with and to experience it with? And so uh, kind of just a po poignant, idea of what's more important legacy or life you know and and the way that different characters have different uh, alignments over their opinions on this it 
similarly, Corliss and Rainey's clash over this later on in the episode, which we'll get to, I'm sure, um, over Corliss's pursuit of legacy at the cost of his own family, being willing to mm-hmm. pass on Driftmark to bastards over his own granddaughters, his mm-hmm. literal flesh and blood, Bela and, and Rayla. Did I get that right? <laughs> all, these, all these damn names. Raina, Bela and Raina, I think. Raina and Bela. Yeah, that, that sounds right. And I'll have to double check. <laughs> it's so brutal. We got yeah. Rainies and Rainera and Bela and Raina and <laughs> Dane. Oh, oh my God. It's, it's insane. Yeah. yeah. So similarly, you know, Corliss and Rainies clash over the pursuit of legacy at the cost of family and the present later on. But we'll get more into that, into their interaction in that scene during my number two, choosing sides. So, so what do you have for number four, Zach? Or is there anything else you'd like to add? No, well, my, no, my four kind of runs into uh, into your number five. Uh, I wrote down nice. Corliss, um, quote, history does not remember blood. Oh, it remembers man. names. So Corliss is all about furthering his legacy for him, his kids, his grandkids. Um I mean, they're a very powerful house with, you know, the biggest Navy. They have dragons. Um, but ultimately, and he was trying to, when he was working out that deal about, oh, the, the, the kid's going to be named Valerian or Targaryen. And <laughs> he and he and Viserys, you know, strike a deal uh, about that. But he, so he's always, and Rhaenys calls him out. It's like, you know, maybe the gods have scorned us because of uh, our pride and their, you know, his unyielding, Ambition. Yeah, she says our um, pride, but she kind of looks over at him like your pride. Like that was like a direct right. dig at Corliss. Oh, at absolutely. That point. <laughs> and you know, it's it's his pride about her claim to the throne, which she has said multiple times now that you know she's done. She 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 doesn't she hasn't considered herself in the running. She says you know she gave it up a generation ago. Yeah. But Corliss still you know wants to pursue it and get as much as he can you know out of his legacy. And, you know, whether their names will be Lucerus and Jaceris Valerian and whoever, you know, if, if uh, Jaceris becomes king, you know, his name will be Targaryen at that point. But history will remember those boys' names. They are right. the children of Rhaenyra, uh, heirs to the throne. And nobody, you know, in the history, when the history books are written, you know, Corliss Point is they'll know their names and their names are Valerian. You know, Which is kind of like brings us back to the Fast and Furious, right? Where like you get to choose your family. <laughs> I got family. I don't have bastards. I got family. <laughs> but you know, and, and Rainus brings up a, a good point that, and she she kind of treats, um, I think the older boy Jaceris, real coldly at the at the after party. I don't know. I guess it's sort of like a. That's what I've been calling it to. <laughs> what's the name for a like a send off for a funeral? A, um, the Irish thing. Awake. Oh, awake. Okay, um, yeah. I didn't realize like those a wake, Irish. You know, party. I mean, I think multiple cultures use it, but I think of it as this Irish. Rah, you know, at the bar and everybody's you know drinking to the long lost you know person, the dilly departed. Um, <laughs> with your Boston, the Boston thing, <laughs> the departed, uh, the wake, going to the wake by, down by the car. Uh, anyway. I'd play some hockey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My whole mom's but, side know, of her family talks like that. No, nice. Uh, but Rainey's, you know, is she knows that obviously they all know the truth of the boy's parentage. But Corliss is sort of like Viserys and it's just not going to talk about it, not going to address it. Rainey's and Allison are like, 
it's only us two sitting here. Can we not just talk plainly about what the situation is here? Um, but Rainius doesn't, because of who they are and who their father is, Rainius doesn't want Driftmark and all their titles, 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 titles to pass to those boys because they're not of Valerian blood. They're half Targaryen mm-hmm. and they're half strong. Um, so she, she proposes that they, that they pass it through uh, their daughter's line to their granddaughters. Um, what did we decide? Bela and Reyna? <laughs> I think it was yeah, Bela and Reyna. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, and she's, so she, her kind of, her counterpoint to Corliss <laughs> is, you know, their blood and, the, and them being true Valerians is more important. But Corliss is saying that, well, it's their name. History remembers their name, not their blood and how, how pure or impure uh, it was, but you know, I thought it was pretty interesting. Vaymond, his uh, send off uh, for Lena, talks about that and even brings uh, Damon to chuckle, which is like, <laughs> yeah, bro, bad form, party foul. You can't chuckle at your wife's funeral ceremony, especially but, mocking uh, her like the bastards right. that are make up the rest of the family. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's laughing because they're right there. Yeah, yeah, the the, the thinned blood, as, as so to speak. Oh right. my god! So I mean, that 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 scene and him chuckling with Rhaenyra and her two brown headed boys uh, standing right there that that plays into this the same concept of uh, you know is history going to remember names more or is history going to remember blood and the blood right and who you know the pure blooded versus not pure blooded you know. Yeah. Allisons are half high towers and half Targaryen, but it's within wedlock, so it's legitimate. Versus, you know, these strong the strong boys um, aren't. They're out of wedlock, so you know they're just they're. If the truth were found out, you know they they get nothing, and yeah. because it's a royal thing, they would you know be cut out and probably you know sit to the wall or worse. Yeah, Corliss and Rainey's here are basically a mirror of uh, mm-hmm. of Rhaenyra and Alicent, you know, squabbling over like the similar type of thing, whether or yeah. not like, you know, you could pick your family or whether it's all based on genetics and blood. And yeah, pretty interesting. That quote stuck out to me, too, um, that history doesn't remember blood. It remembers names because at the time, I think that was in one of the trailers. And when I heard it, okay. uh, yeah, like one of the original announcement trailers. And when I heard it, I was like, oh, it remembers fire too. You know, history remembers fire. <laughs> fire. But uh, I didn't understand the significance of the quote and the whole bastard dynamics and what a name means versus what blood means. And and so hearing it in context, it, it hit a lot harder for me and made a whole lot more sense. But for people more familiar with the dance, and in my case, I forgot about all, all of it, all of it. Uh, people who were up to date on the details and knew the intricacies of the dance when that trailer came out were probably like, oh, man, this is going to be crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else you want to add about that part? Uh, no, I don't think so. That uh, wraps up my number four. All right, moving on to my number four, which is Amund and Vagar. Is that on your list nice. too? Uh, yeah, my number th- uh, my number one. Uh, if you want him, come and claim him. Uh, <laughs> Arwen, the the elf, the she elf in Lord of the Rings, who falls in love with uh, 
the Aragorn. King, um, Aragorn, you know, which he has Frodo and she's trying to race him back to Rivendell and the wraiths are chasing her. And she brings the river down on him before they cross the river. She says, if you want him, come and claim him. Oh, right. And the, there's like horses um, in the water. Like, yeah, that's so epic. But anyway, <laughs> uh, obviously, Aemon, you know, and he sort of says the same, a similar thing to the the two uh, Targaryen girls, you know, Bela and Reyna. I think of them as Valarians, but they're Daemon Targaryen's children, so their name is Targaryen. Anyway, right, right. Um, you know, Aemon says, you know, if you wanted him, you should have claimed him. So I was like, oh, that sounds like Arwen. If you want him, come and claim him. She was mine to claim. If you want him, come and claim him. <laughs> nice. Take that away with uh, Aemon, and we can just team up and okay. cover Aemon the Dragon Claimer. So, <laughs> nice, good, good, good title. That's badass. So. There are hints that this is going to happen leading up to it throughout the episode. While everything's going on um, at the after party wake type <laughs> type thing, I typically think of wakes as being before the funeral. Um, uh, but um, all this stuff is going on. And at one point, Rainey's comes over to speak with the, the little girls and Lucerus walks away, giving them some space. And it's at this point where he and, um, Aemon kind of come face to face. And there's this epic moment of like a standoff between the two second sons where Lucerus and Aemon, they're just staring at each other for a moment and neither of them speaks. And then they kind of part and walk away as possibly foreshadowing some kind of confrontation, which we do, do see la happen later this episode with a fight resulting from him stealing the dragon. Um, <laughs> but a couple moments later, after Rhaenyra and Damon share a little glance and she smirks and makes Damon smile, a dragon screeches in the distance and Aemond looks up towards the sky and sees mm -hmm. the sun beginning to set behind the castle. <laughs> and so that's our first hint of the connection between Vagar and Aemond that's sort of growing throughout this episode. And then later on at the point where <laughs> after where uh, Aemond narks out Aegon to, to Otto, <laughs> Otto retrieves Aegon and brings him back into the castle. And Aemond is left standing alone in front of a stairway again, which made me think of the dragon pit ramp when he was al left alone in front of that mm -hmm. and he ended up going down. Mm -hmm. And then we hear another another roar in the distance and he looks up at the sky and it's like as the sun is setting and the clouds are covering the 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 um, expanse of the, of the sky and the, a shadow kind of creeps over the top of the clouds and you know it's Vagar in the distance but you can't see the dragon. So it's like, mm -hmm. oh, it's like this really cool effect. And Aemon is like, the dragon is calling to him, it feels like. And he's like, I got to do this, you know? And he goes running off down the stairs. And uh, oh my God, this part of the episode is so dark. It looked fine on my TV. But then when I was watching it and taking notes today on my computer, it was like impossibly dark. I have half the screen set up with like the, a transcript and where I'm taking notes, and then the other half of the screen is the episode. And so, like, I turned up the brightness all the way on my on my screen, 
and the the Microsoft Word half was like blinding me, and the other half with the <laughs> you know with House of the Dragon was so dark I couldn't even see what was going on. I had to go full screen to get rid of the brightness, and mm-hmm. uh, even then it was still basically impossible to see everything. So to see anything and you know this is like a pretty nice screen so they, they're doing something wrong here when it comes to lighting unfortunately which mars the production somewhat um it seems like you said you sent that one picture with to me with uh, rhaenyra and damon walking along the beach in the daytime and then they like boom shows them at night it seems like they're shooting a lot of this stuff in broad daylight and then using filters yeah. to make it look dark I think so. I think yeah. they are. And you can tell because when it shows flames in the in in uh you know when when Amond is walking down the stairway to leave here at at that moment there are some torches along the stairs and the flames look dim and like unlike they would normally look if they were just gleaming in through the yeah, darkness. At night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can tell they're like um that the they're using filters to artificially darken everything which like okay it's kind of cool like the sky looks cool you you get a good mm-hmm. glimmer off of the ocean. You can tell that it's another way you can tell is because there's that silver lining around the clouds on the beach scene as if the sun is shining and it's, you know, you can see it still really bright right, around well, the... That would be the brightest moon ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it was <laughs> true moonlight. Yeah, totally. The brightest moon of all time. And so, um, you know, some ups because of cool aesthetics, but some downs as well to this technique. And for some reason streaming on hbo max it just looks pitch black you can't see anything so major bummer to people who are watching on phones and computers through hbo max streaming online it seems like they're compressing it differently than the live broadcast or something and the colors just look totally darkened on the hbo max version they need to fix it because it's broken but besides the that's besides the point <laughs> so amond escapes from the castle and he's like running across the dunes <laughs> like Gendry across the vast frozen north just on a mission <laughs> running for miles it seems until he tracks down the spot where Vagar has landed and Vagar is curled up in this kind of gully area and Eamon pops up over a dune to see the giant dragon there and he's like oh he's like he says fuck like <laughs> what, what do I do you know <laughs> Yes, yeah, enormous. I mean, the scale of it. Once he get he walks down the the dune, and you know gets right beside it before he starts to reach out and touch it. Uh, I mean, it, you you get a good you know kind of a, a far off shot of his him him being so tiny, and the, standing right there beside the dragon to show the scale. And that I mean, Vagar is just enormous, massive, just gigantic. And man, you can imagine how terrifying it must be, but. He handles it like a boss. And uh, I'm thinking like, wow, you know, he's going to have to do something to earn the dragon's trust and to like gain the dragon's respect and everything. But he's sitting there and he's like looking at at the sleeping dragon and he looks over at the rigging. He's like, hmm. And (laughs) in my mind, I can hear his thoughts. He's like thinking about skipping the process of introducing himself and just outright claiming the dragon by climbing onto its back. Just jump on. Just jumping on. And I'm like, oh my God, is that even possible? Is he really going to do this? (laughs) And he tries. He goes over and reaches for the rigging because they got like rigging all over the dragon, like Mm -hmm. just ropes all over its back, which looks really cool as Lena was flying it a couple episodes ago. I guess that was last episode. And mm-hmm. uh, 
They probably use it to attach like cargo and stuff because the dragon is so. Yeah, I was wondering, use this thing as like a cargo seven forty seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I was wondering, like, man, is that just like the ropes from previous saddles that they are just like Vagar was too unwieldy and chaotic, and they weren't able to get all the ropes off? But I think it was on Alt Shift X that he mentioned they probably use it for carrying baggage and stuff like that. So that made sense. Um, but he reaches for the saddle, the rigging to climb up and the dragon turns and faces him and he kind of freezes and uh, the dragon chills out and turns its head back away again. And he's like, okay, like maybe things are cool. And so he goes for the reach for the, uh, the, the ropes again. And this time Vagar turns his head again more aggressively and opens his mouth and you can see the fire forming in its gullet. And he does exactly what Jaceris did in the previous episode with with um, Vermax, but with with force and verve and authority. And he sticks yeah. out his hand, you know, like Neo blocking bullets in the Matrix. <laughs> he has to. His life depends on this yeah. dragon listening to him. Yeah. And he's just like, no, Harris. Doharis Vagard, and it stops and listens to him amazingly. What does he say? Doharis Lykiri, and uh, Vagar kind of like calms down, and then they're sitting there looking at each other, and I think Vagar is like, wow, this dude is like actually standing up to me. You know, most beings would run (laughs) or Mm -hmm. something, Mm -hmm. and so he holds his ground, stops the bullets like Neo, and then as they're looking at each other in the eyes, He's like, that's right. I'm about to ride you. And he walks over and grabs the ropes with authority while they're still making eye contact, mm-hmm. like like letting him know this is happening and begins to climb up and uh, <laughs> commands Vega. He sort of gets himself situated. And he commands thinks him. he's situated. Yeah, he thinks he is. <laughs> Soves! And uh, commands him to take flight. And for a few seconds here, it seems like Vagar is testing him and, you know, like showing him the flames may have been a test. And also, but then here he takes off and just zooms up in the air and sends (laughs) Eamon launching out of the saddle and he's dangling by the ropes, which is something I'm always thinking about watching this stuff. Actually, even before that, he first, he just shakes his neck. Like he's stretching out, preparing mm-hmm. for flight, and Aemon is like bouncing all around, like like a, on one of those mechanical bulls, <laughs> you know, just like flapping all over, flopping over all over. And uh, this is one thing I'm always thinking about when dragons are flying around, or when people are on these things, like in Lord of the Rings, when Legolas climbs up on one of the giant elephants. And he's like walking around as the elephant is like spinning around and swinging. And it's like, you have, you would just go flying right off of it. You know, you have no grip. Just the contact of your feet is not enough to keep you stable and your center of gravity level as the beast is like moving like crazy beneath you. He would go flying off. So in this, they actually got the physics right as Vagar shakes and the boy goes flopping all over it. And then he takes off and he's dangling by the ropes. Ah! Screaming. And he finally gets back up into the position and like gets wrapped up in all the ropes to hold his spot. And I think typically, if I remember correctly from the books, the dragon riders would attach themselves with chains. Yeah. Which may, may be important throughout this, considering that we may see a lot of more crazy dragon stuff. 
but the dragon rider will chain themselves to the saddle. So if they fall off, they can, they can climb back on effectively. But he doesn't chain himself. He's just, <laughs> he's just dangling on. Not as bad as Daenerys oh, without even a saddle. Yeah, Danny has no <laughs> ropes, no saddle, no, no nothing. Nada. Danny learns from scratch. But, I mean, she raised the dragons from hatchlings, so... With no instructions of how yeah, to they're do not gonna, the You know, Drogon wasn't going to be, in theory, you know, as wild or unruly as an old dragon getting a new dragon rider. And like you say, Vagar's like, I'm going to... You want to be a dragon rider... You know, everybody wants to be gangster until see if it's you're time worthy. to do gangster stuff. So <laughs> yeah. if you want to be a dragon rider, let's see if you can hold on. And she, you know, Vagar takes off and I mean, she just goes straight up and uh, he holds on somehow. <laughs> oh, man, it's so cool. I loved this scene so much. And uh, then he finally gets on and gets his grip. And Vagar's like, now we're going to try the other direction. <laughs> just starts <laughs> jiving. Just a nosedive, completely vertical. And he's like, ah, screaming. And the music is building. And there's a cool-ass moment here where Vagar dips beneath the horizon from what we can see. And the music goes quiet, except for strings, which are going, and like building the tension as they slowly bend upwards. And then Vagar comes flying over the ridge. And Eamon is on top. Woo! <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, this is what I call pod racing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, the the triumphant version of the of the dragon themes, st- mm-hmm. theme music starts playing, which was really cool. And during the uh, the flight leading up to that, there's like this... Music, which is kind of remindful of Jaws, but something we've heard... Throughout the the Game of Thrones and a song uh, and House of the Dragon soundscapes before, like I felt like that motif was something that had been used previously, maybe during the Stepstones battles, and maybe during like the Battle of Castle at Castle Black or something. Um, but oh yeah, and when Vagar takes off, it's kind of funny. He does sort of he she it <laughs> does sort of like a a running start before flapping his wings and it reminded me of mm-hmm. uh, how i've seen it proposed that pterodactyls may have taken flight which is like a oh, semi nice. little like <laughs> running start type of thing um but man this whole scene is just so epic he's flying he's now like he's getting the hang of it and he's like enjoying the flight and it's like he and and Vagar are like meshing and becoming one in this moment as they're dipping and diving and soaring and and flying together at this point. <laughs> and sort of like how Daemon flew through the fire of Vagar's flame ball in the last episode. <laughs> Vagar goes flying through a flock of some kind of birds here. And Aemon yeah. is like dodging yeah. the birds. Aemon's about to have a, a Sully on the Hudson moment. You know, <laughs> multiple... Multiple bird strikes. Yeah. What's what's that reference? Sully? Oh, is that the, the guy that crash landed, right? Yeah, the flight that took off LaGuardia and that, uh, hit, bird, hit geese in both engines, lost both engines and landed on the Hudson River. Right. That's what I thought you were referencing. That's like immediately what I pop, what popped into my mind, but the name Sully. Like, so, is that what the movie's called? That's the Sully. advantage. Yeah, yeah. They made a movie uh, with Tom Hanks. You know, I think they just called the movie Sully, but that's the advantage of a... Uh, a living creature that can withstand a bird strike very easy versus a, a mechanical airplane with an engine. If they hit a bird, it's not good a lot engine, of times. Yeah, it goes into the intake and just screws up everything in the, yeah. <laughs> the jet propulsion. 
Oh, but that's Vagar bad. can handle the bird strikes, but uh, little Amon is like, whoa! I mean, if you're <laughs> flying at fifty or sixty miles an hour, you know, when you hit a medium to large size bird, like hits you in the face, it might knock you unconscious. Yeah, that could be lethal. Easily, yes, yeah. Oh, you yeah, know, easy. if you're not, if you don't have your chain, uh, right? Like the what's the little thing you put on if you're riding a jet ski? If you fall off, oh, the kill, the kill switch, switch uh, little tether thing. Yeah, oh yeah, you yeah, use a tether, tether on like surfboard also, connected to a to a kill switch. That way your uh, jet ski doesn't, you know, R- drive off without you. Drive off, you know, <laughs> like twenty miles before it crashes or runs, runs out, out of, of gas. gas in the middle of the ocean. But yeah, you, so that chain is sort of like a a kill switch. You like if if the dragon, in theory, if it felt you fall off and then you felt your weight hanging from the chain, it would probably like try to look back and like, oh, okay, let's land. So this person, <laughs> yeah. so my dragon rider doesn't fall to its death. Totally. Totally. <laughs> so funny. But yeah, it's just amazing scene. Ama- the music so throughout good. the whole episode was fantastic, but this, this sequence, it was especially you know, just riveting. Um, riveting. It, I mean, it just, you know, he just walks up to him. There's a really cool shot after, he he gets, you know, Vagar starts to raise up with the flame in the back of his throat. And he says, Likiri, Likiri, don't hide us. And he calms down, Vagar calms down. And there's a shot from behind Amond. So you see Amond's back. And then you see, you know, on, on the whole background of the shot is Vagar. Mostly his like his nose and his face. And you can, can see his neck and his body, you know, the way in the background. arch of his spine. And it's just, it's this cool shot of, you know, from straight behind Eamon and Eamon is just looking down this dragon. The dragon is staring him down and that's the, he's like sniffing him. He's like, oh, you're the blood of the dragon. Um, <laughs> all right. You know, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to roast you right now. So what are you going to do, kid? And like you said, he just walks up to him, grabs that rigging and climbs right up. And it's, so you know, awesome. the kids, kids got guts. Last episode with, uh, when Lena had talked about how she claimed Vagar for herself, all he wanted to see was just like a, a one-off movie of that event happening. Lena yeah. tracking down Vagar and doing it. But we got it here, basically. Yeah, in like 20 yeah seconds. they gave it to us. <laughs> yeah. And it was a lot easier than I had anticipated. <laughs> yeah. If, you know, but if just some, some you know, random Joe tra- walked up to it, Without and that smell in the blood. Didn't have the, the blood of the dragon, blood of old Valyria. And assuming this, that when Vagar rose up and got that flame going, just, you know, he did like a quick little sniff test before that. And it's like, yeah, you ain't no dragon rider, son. And they, he would have just spit fire and that would have been it. The fact that he knew the high Valyrian commands also, I think, played a role in like reaffirming their, that like, Oh, he's got the blood and he's got the and lingo. And the training. You know? Yeah. So, like, remember how Aegon was yawning in the middle of uh, Jaceris or Lucerus dragon lesson? He, yeah. Aegon was yawning in the middle of the lesson because he's like, oh, I got Sunfire. Been there, done that. But aemon has been paying attention to the other Just kids' lessons. For his chance. And uh, he put, you know, put all that in his memory bank and uh, was able to recall it and issue those commands to Vagar and... Claim a dragon. So the biggest, sick. baddest dragon. Biggest, baddest B2 bomber in all of the all of Westeros. And the, the scene where uh, where they're flying through the flock of birds also, it made me think of 
Damon going through that fireball. And rewatching that scene, when Vagar blows the big fireball and Damon and Caraxes go flying through it, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I thought you were frozen for a second, but you were just standing really still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> instead of like ducking and hiding from the fire, I noticed that Damon leans back and like exposes himself to the flames, which may mm. indicate, you know, potential uh, fire resistance in, on Damon. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, they, I think it definitely could go there and it would be fun if they did. Some uh, I just saw a, a Twitter thread that was like, "You're y'all are getting too deep in the weeds with it." You know, talking about us, you know, f- nerd nerd fans. Three hour podcasts, like, yeah. Do right, yeah. <laughs> They're like, just that situation is like moving your can, you moving your finger quickly through the flame of a candle. It's I don't like, know. If you sit there, yeah, it's going to burn you. But if you just move fast on a dragon, just fly right through it. You know, in theory, it wouldn't. It doesn't hurt you, but. Like I would say it's dragon flame. It's not yeah, just yeah, a candle yeah. flame. And dragon flame is supposed to be, you know, insanely hot and, you know, thermite all of, that. So you know, like type stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't know. It's I, I I like to think that Damon might be the another once in a generation fireproof Targaryen. Yeah, I'd like to think so too. And it seems like it to me. There seems to be some hints toward that. So Let's hope it's true, because that'd be cool. Gurm did say that it was a miracle with Daenerys, but he also says that he just makes this shit up as he goes, so <laughs> we can't take anything he says too seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, so during this scene, Bela and Reyna... God, did I get those right? <laughs> it's not Baina and Rayla. Uh, yeah, they, uh, they're waking, they wake up and they see that Vagar is flying off and they notice that somebody's stealing, <laughs> as they put it, Vagar. I don't know if dragons aren't really property, though, so I don't know if they could be stolen. But um, we'll get more into that conflict later on because it sort of deals with choosing sides, my number two. Excellent. Anything else you want to add about the epic dragon flight scene? I don't think so. Man, that was so cool. It's kind of reminding me. Vagar lands, I think, maybe where they had that funeral party. Yeah, I was wondering about that. He has this, like, Vagar has this throat kind of not a gullet, but I don't know what it would be called. This like super like enlarged and that, and it's chest, like he lands is like, boom. And then <laughs> where the camera is sitting, it kind of, it just kind of sits and crushes like a brazier or something. It's like, it's like a whole tent. Dra- especially Vagar is so massive. It's like just landing. The thing is going to cause damage. It doesn't yeah. matter where you land. <laughs> the dragon. Yeah, for real. All right. So that wraps up my number four. How about your numero tres? Good, sir. Uh, my number three uh, was just fire and how that plays into to the end of the episode and specifically uh, Rhaenyra and, and Damon's conversation as they watch Viserys and Alicent and the three uh, Targaryen kids fly off back to King's Landing on their dragon and now Vagar. Like they're literally seeing Vagar leave their side and assuming Lena had stayed alive and assuming she would have teamed up with the blacks uh, with the rest of uh, team Valerion since Rhaenyra is married to Lenor Valerion. And now little Aemon Targaryen, who is obviously a green has taken, I mean, he, he claimed him fair and square, but 
that is a huge, like, that's not even the queen in chess. That's like yeah. three queens. <laughs> yeah. That's like having three queens on the chessboard and moving from your side to your opponent's side. Yeah, it's like getting your pawn all the way to the opposite end <laughs> and having it turn into a queen. Now you having two queens. <laughs> that type right. of situation. So, it, and it's just, this is a huge deal strategically and tactically uh, in the, I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. Like, oh, this is man. not this is not a sign of good fortune in the wars to come. Yeah. You just you had Vagar. <laughs> you had Vagar on your team and you just lost him. Yeah. So um it's bad. Damon and Rhaenyra are standing there, you know, on the battlements or wherever they're standing at Driftmark, watching Vagar and the other dragons fly away. And Rhaenyra says, Fire is such a strange power. Everything that House Targaryen possesses is owed to it. Because the Aegon would not, the North wouldn't have never surrendered. The way, I mean, I say surrender, uh, you know, that, I mean, they did, they said they surrender, you know, Torrin Stark, you know, the king who knelt after the field of fire. And so if Aegon hadn't conquered with fire, they, he wouldn't have won the seven kingdoms. You know, he had a small army at the beginning. And then he, as he conquered the different kingdoms, he, he added more and more soldiers underneath him. And I guess he probably had a little bit of naval power, you know, with the Valerians back then, but not to its strength now. He won. He won the Seven Kingdoms, you know, with fire and blood. So, what? And that's what Rhaenyra is saying here. You know, they, the dragons, are the reason that they that they have that they won the Seven Kingdoms and that they've held it for these one hundred and twenty odd years since Aegon's conquest. Um, so she says, everything House Targaryen possesses is owed to fire. Um, it says, yet it has cost us both what we loved. Uh, Harwin uh, would just burned alive in Harrenhal and Lena, uh, you know, at her own will, you know, had Vagar, you know, destroy her with with dragon flame. So, you know, fire is a very powerful thing. But once fire is unleashed, you know, it's completely uncontrollable. Like those magic um, swords that Melisandre talked about, right? Sorcery being yeah. like a double edged sword that you. You can mm-hmm. hold the handle, but can, you can't guarantee where it'll swing. Right. Which way, yeah, which way it'll slice. Yeah. You know, so she says fire has, has cost her and Damon both uh, who they loved. Um, and I think Damon here says perhaps the Valerians knew the truth of it. The yep. sea is a better ally. And then this is a, a, a simple but powerful line. Rhaenyra says fire is a prison. The sea offers an escape. So it, you know, it's, but she knows that it's going to take fire for her to win the Iron Throne. Obviously, Allison isn't going to stand idly by and let her just ascend the throne upon Viserys' death. There's going to be a challenge. She proved it. I mean, she started to prove that Allison started to prove the challenge when she came down the wedding feast in the green dress. Yeah. But last week and now this week, you know, with the outright attack, you know, after the kids fight, uh, Allison is, you know, no holds barred. And so this is pushing Rhaenyra to to team up with Damon to have a chance uh, of of winning the war. Obviously, war is inevitable. So Rhaenyra is trying to figure out how to win, and obviously teaming up with Caraxes and Damon, and both of them being you know, full blooded Targaryens to kind of combine their claims, you know, against. Uh, Plus, she's always wanted Damon anyway. Let's be real. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, like she tells him on the beach, you know, I want you. Um, <laughs> she craves that hot D. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
D for dragon. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking D for Damon. Right. Exactly. So many D's. Um, <laughs> um, and then a little bit further as their, the what I named the ruse, we'll talk more about that. Yeah. That's my I'm number just one. just trying to scroll through their conversation. Um, so the, at the end, uh, Damon says, we will know the truth. Our enemies won't. And she, Rhaenyra says, they will fear what else we might be capable of. Um, there's another line about fire. I wrote it down, but I was. But you to and I are made of fire. Script. We have always Where meant to burn together. Just, yeah, burn together. It's like holy cow, man! That's oh my! I goodness, described them as like flint and a... steel before, but it's more like gasoline and fire. You know, like they come, like they had, they were, there were sparks shooting everywhere when they were interacting in the previous episodes. When they went down to the whorehouse, the chemistry was like, you know, effervescent. And then now they've been separated for a decade and both of them are sullen and dour and <laughs> pouting. Damon's like given up on Westeros and is like relegated himself to Pentos. Rhaenyra is like, oh, like, look at what my life's become without you. Remember? <laughs> but now that they're combined again, I can see the, like the fire from earlier episodes being rekindled in both of them and just like, oh, like just... It, it, <laughs> and like the, their chemistry re-engulfing the terrain around them in flames moving forward. It's going to be crazy. There's going to be so much fire and blood uh, <laughs> at the end of the season. And then, you know, def I think they said the dance, they have kind of tentatively slotted for three to four seasons. Oh, really? I thought um, it was five. So I, yeah, it may be. I'm, I'm not sure uh, uh, the latest thing that they've said. And different actors will say different stuff. Sure, but sure. Unless it's Sapochnik <laughs> or Ryan Condal or Gurm, you know, who knows? They could, Gurm would stretch it out for 12 seasons, just the dance. <laughs> yeah. or, and then do 18 seasons of Aegon's Conquest. But, you know, he's he's a writer, not a movie, not a television producer. Yep. So, but it just, um, yeah, Rainier just says they're, they're both made of fire. They're meant to burn together. Oh, and so cool. In the after, after the episode, they, um, I think Emma Darcy is talking about their, their chemi they have this crazy chemistry, but it's like explosive Dangerous. chemistry. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some experiment we did in high school. I think it was magnesium and then you drop Jump it from water. its solution into water. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's like fireworks. On steroids. It's yeah. pretty crazy. Pure sodium, I think, does the same thing. Yeah. So it's, you know, that they have chemistry, but it's not the safe uh, kind of chemistry. Destructive, dangerous chemistry. I can't wait. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that was my number so three good. was fire. Damon and Rhaenyra, both fire. Nice. My number three also is Damon and Rhaenyra. Uh, nice. <laughs> just like the progression of how their relationship um, kind of goes throughout this episode. Yeah, it was interesting during the funeral scene, actually the after party, <laughs> when the first interaction we see between the two of them is when Rhaenyra is showing up to try to find her boys and the after party kind of thing is going on. And she looks at Damon as she enters the area through the little tunnel in the cliffside. And Damon is kind of like up against the, uh, the, the seawall. And he turns to look at her and they make eye contact. And then after a split second, he turns away and like, kind of like, like, it, like not like a diss necessarily, but like ends it, you know, and turns back to do mm -hmm. what he was doing. And it kind of feels awkward. And then later on, Rhaenyra, they make eye contact again. And Rhaenyra kind of gives this like a micro expression of just like a, 
like a like a little smirk that she does, you know. And Damon yeah. sees it, and it like it like kindles the fire in him also, and he he turns away again, but this time he's smiling broadly. He's like, still got her, you know. She's she's exactly. you know she's she still wants me for sure. And so that was kind of a cool uh, little smirk and interaction. Really well well acted by um, both of them, I would, I would say. And mm-hmm. uh, so then Damon goes off to the beach and Rhaenyra sees it as an opportunity and sh- shushes her kids off to, or, you know, shoes her kids off to bed. Right? <laughs> go, go to bed. bed. Go to bed. <laughs> I got stuff. I got stuff to do. Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with that. And <laughs> yeah, mommy, mommy and daddy have things to discuss. Yeah, but, but Otto seems to notice so I'm wondering if Otto may have sent a spy to watch her out on the beach or something like that. Um, or if he went up into a tower and grabbed a, t- a telescope and was <laughs> watching to see what they're up to, you know, with like a laser microphone. Fed <laughs> uh, <so laughs> boy surveillance. <laughs> yeah, totally. So we, uh, we arrive back to them in a little bit later as they're walking the shores together, similarly to how Rhaenyra and Lenor had walked these same shores of Driftmark during their betrothal yep. all those years before. And Rhaenyra's like, uh, you know, like, ah, oh, lamenting. I said lament a lot last episode. So I'm going to try to not to say that word as much. <laughs> I lament the fact. I lament the fact that you said that so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so Rhaenyra is kind of like, um, you know, pouting about how Lenor will be useless. No, he's always been restless, but now that his sister's dead and like everything's going wrong, like he's going to be useless or worse. And she says, I know better than anyone that our marriage is a farce, but at least I maintain, you know, I try to maintain appearances. and. Uh, She's talking about how she's had so much to lose ever since she was named heir and and that how she and Lenor did try to conceive a child, which sort of makes me feel better about about the situation because yesterday, last week, I was like, she couldn't even take the time to, you know, just do the one thing she needed to do, which was have a legitimate heir. It's like, at least she tried. <laughs> and, and, and Lenor tried, as we heard here later on. Um, but they performed their duty as best as they could to no avail. And uh, she found <laughs> there's like kind of an awkward pause where Damon is like, oh, he's not, not saying anything. And it's like, it seems like he doesn't like hearing her about her having sex with other dudes. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. he's like upset by that. And she's like, there was no joy in it. <laughs> like, no, Don't worry. I, I'm still I still have a thing for you. But she does say that she f- found joy elsewhere. I'm straight up not having a good time. Like, I'm feeling a little irked, or at least, like, irked adjacent, and then these guys bring in their bad vibes? Bro, I'm straight up not having a good time. So it seemed like what Rainier was trying to say. I was like, we did it, but there was no joy in it. We straight up did not have a good time. <laughs> yeah, totally. There was there was no joy, but uh, she did find some joy with Harwin, and it felt good to be desired, which is kind of hinting to Damon, I think, that she knows that he desires her, and it, I think she was saying that the way that Harwin looked at her reminded her of the way that Damon looked at her, you know, those, all those years before when they had their little tryst and their secret romantic fling. And, uh, you know, she, she is upset about his death and says that, yes, he was devoted to me as Damon understood and she trusted him and she shouldn't have allowed him to go back to Heron's castle the curse is said to be strong now as it was after the conquest. And he's like, ah, you know, ghost stories. 
ones that Sir Otto and the Queen would the clean the Queen would <laughs> she's not so clean anymore would uh, really? the Queen would gladly exploit. And so interestingly here, Rhaenyra defends Alicent just as Alicent had defended her all those years before. You know, she says, I do not believe Alicent capable of cold murder. And she like steps out in the lead and like asserts it with authority. And <laughs> I love this interaction here. Uh, Damon is like, hmm, each of us is capable of depravity and more than you would believe. And she's like, I believe it of you. <laughs> the best line yeah, of the episode. Like, Whoa, bro. <laughs> I love this. He's like, if you're accusing me of some depravity, you need to be more specific. You know, like insinuating that there's like a vast selection to choose from. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't deny that he's depraved. He's like, yeah. well, which depravity are you speaking of? <laughs> be more <laughs> specific. Like, bro. So good. I love that line. I think that's my favorite line of the episode. And so uh she's like, I've been alone. You abandoned me. So she's looking at his abandonment of her in the whorehouse as his act of depravity that that he she left her that he left her there and he, you know, he left her both physically and emotionally, you know, like she was mm-hmm. she was opening up to him like they were finally connecting. And then it must have been like a like a giant blow when he just walked away. And he he still hasn't explained the real reasoning was that. You know, his plumbing was failing him, you know, and he's like too embarrassed to stay, basically. And uh, he's like, I spared you, like spinning it. You were a child. Yes, I was a child. And look what my life has become without you. Droll tragedy. (laughs) Great way of great verbiage there as well. And both of their lives have gone to shit. Like I was mentioning earlier, talking about them both being, you know, fire embodied that together they're like flint and steel, gasoline, fire, like they combust and just like uh, radiate heat, you know, but to get mm-hmm. separately, they're just like, ah, oh, like going through the motions and, and going through a life without meaning. And uh, it's sort of, you know, what I was talking about before, uh, legacy versus life. You know, Rhaenyra had decided to go for legacy and she took on the role of the heir and she married who she was supposed to and she sacrificed her true interest, which was Damon, for the greater picture of marrying Lenor and the the prophecy and the hidden writing on the dagger and, the you know, the White Walkers in the future and everything. And it seems now that she's realizing that legacy alone isn't enough, that like, while it's important, she also wants to regain Damon in her life. And she's re- seeing how important it is like, to have love and people around you in the process of forging your legacy. And so they, they, they are basically angling to, to do that, to, to get both of them going at the same time. And uh, so they're, they both are relating about how horrible their lives have been. Although he does say that he was happy enough with Lena and, <laughs> and Rhaenyra, she's like, well, you know, that is quite an achievement. And she kind of like, she's like, oh, I'm sorry for getting so emotional about this and being mad at you. And Damon's like, don't be sorry. At least I'm allowed to mourn my losses. Cause she's had this loss of Harwin breakbones, but she's not even allowed to mourn, you know, which must mm-hmm. be brutal. She's got to just like keep a stone face and go about the daily routines and she can't express her real feelings. Mourning is an important process and, you know, she's got to do it in secret and can't share her feelings with anybody, really. So that's kind of a tough position to be in. And uh, it's here where he's sensitive to her feelings as well. 
you know, that she reaches out to touch him. And there's like this, like the tension in this scene is like so thick. And she reaches mm-hmm. out and she touches his chest and she's raising it towards, raising her hand towards his his head and his neck. And she, he's like, Rhaenyra, you know, like there could be somebody watching, like, you know, like this isn't, isn't the right thing for us to be doing. And she just like shuts him down. She's like, I'm no longer a child <laughs> and I want you, which it makes it kind of awkward because previously she was a child, which is an awkward thing, <laughs> awkward dynamic. It's like knowing someone who was a kid and then like, like yeah, getting with them romantically after kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, and it's your niece. Yeah, <laughs> on top of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally weird. <laughs> Takes creepy uncle to a whole new level. Yeah. This time it's successful. Oh, it really does take creepy uncle to a whole new level. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this time she's just like, fuck it. Who cares? And it's sexy time. And uh, they somehow have a tent prepared. and Yeah, that little shell of a boat that just happened to be sitting oh, there. Oh, that's what that was? Yeah, I, th- I believe so. And I could see it way better watching it on the iPad than I could on the older Vizio TV. Um, they need to fix this. Like, they're going to figure this out. Yeah, I don't know. And and both were on, were on HBO Max. One was on the iPad app and one hmm. was HBO Max on a... Interesting. Uh, Amazon, a Fire TV, Amazon Fire TV plug And you could see it on the, the HDMI. Right. And you could see it on the on the iPad, but I was on a Mac computer. So same company, same type of screens Crazy and stuff. And I couldn't see anything think. on that. Yeah. It's weird. I don't know. So, but yeah, we could, you know, Damon has some pretty gnarly scars like on his arms. Oh, yeah. Uh, and all on his back. Shoulder. And- um, so he's in the stepstones he got. I mean, that's the only war that we know of that he's fought in, but you know, it's, you know, pretty, pretty interesting. Some people are saying they thought Rhaenyra was just kind of laying there like Allison did with decrepit old Viserys, just kind of lifeless and not enjoying it. But didn't seem that I way. Didn't, I didn't get that vibe uh, from from there. I know the shot you know, they're talking about where she like kind of looks up at the canvas that's above them. To me, she seemed more like mesmerized and like, um, you know, right. then yeah, disinterested. I mean, yeah, Allison was just like straight up dead fish, you know, face. Sack of potatoes, most. <laughs> so, I mean, Rainier was the one who started this. She said, you know, you know, I started touching him. I want you. So it's like, I don't think they would go from that to, you know, laying there lifeless, you know, unless while Damon does his she thing. really just needs him for his dragon. And she's mad at him about leaving her all those years ago and abandoning her. And then, you know, but I don't, I don't buy that either. I think that she's into yeah. it. <laughs> so, so yeah, it doesn't seem like Damon's having any ED problems now. Maybe the, uh, the erectile dysfunction that he was experiencing before, maybe it just happens under circumstances where things don't seem right. You know, he was with a whore, yeah, like- which is not great with his ex-wife who's mean, which is not great. And then with Rhaenyra, he was like using her, it was during a ploy to ruin her politically. And also she was a child, like you saying. So maybe those two factors combined were just like overpowered his lust and uh, killed the vibe for him deflating, so to speak. It's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, if, you know, Damon and Rainier are going to team up and they're the core of, you know, the blacks um, with Caraxes and Cyrax. Yeah. It's going to be crazy to see this going forward. So the next time we, uh, run into Rhaenyra and Damon is as the greens are sailing and flying away. 
as Laris approaches Alicent, Damon approaches Rhaenyra, who's standing on the battlements, sort of watching as Vagar comes flying over the top and out to the ships. Mm-hmm. And this is that scene that you uh, talked about earlier with all the conversation about fire and everything like that. But there's some interesting things in here that I thought worth were worth mentioning. Everything that House Targaryen possesses is owed to fire, yet it cost us both what we loved. Similarly, the same thing seems to apply with the dragon dreams, which saved the house of Targaryen from the doom of Valyria, but also the crazy, the believers in their prophetic dreams always end up ruining their own their, themselves, like uh, Egg, uh, King Egg on the Fifth, I think, who ended up killing himself and Sir Duncan the Tall and others at the tragedy of Summerhall. Um, the discussion about how fire is a prison and the sea offers an escape. I think to Damon, that seems to be um, emblematic of how he sees his pentos and flung, and going across the narrow sea as an escape from his uh, situation in Westeros where he's no longer really in the line of succession and he doesn't have anything to do to make a name for himself. So the oceans and the sea crossing them is an escape for him to have his own destiny, which I thought was kind of cool. Damon is just kind of chilling as this conversation is going along, going along until Rhaenyra starts speaking High Valyrian, which is like their little special thing that they do with each other. Mm-hmm. And she she says, I need you, uncle, and then switches to High Valyrian. And she says, I cannot face the greens alone. And in... Damon seems to hear the desperation in her voice as she says it, and he turns with concern on his face to to face her. And uh, so she suggests them them getting married so to have enough force to contend with the Greens, saying, "Let us bind our blood, just as Aegon the Conqueror did with his sisters." And when we saw in the wedding later on, they literally basically did that. They sliced their palms open. And we've seen the binding ceremony before where they wrap a, like a ribbon around their their hands joined mm-hmm. for marriage. But in this case, they slice their palms and like press the wounds against one, one another to like bind their blood. And then they, they cut their lips and do it also. And it's like makes a full circle, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's pretty crazy, pretty wild, mm-hmm. ultra in- intimate. Uh, you know, if you don't have to AIDS and stuff to worry about, <laughs> you know, I guess it's, you know, not as horrible as it otherwise could be. Blood of the dragon. It's Blood pure. of the dragon. Yeah. And um, she says, you know, just as Egan the Conqueror did, with you as my husband and prince consort, my claim might not be so easily, easily challenged. And so I was thinking prince consort. It's interesting because Lenor would have been the king consort. With their marriage, as we've heard him mm-hmm. heard him describe, so why would why would Daemon just be the prince consort? Just because she doesn't want to allow him to be king, so there's no confusion in the matter, or <laughs> like what's up yeah, with maybe that? you know because it's her claim that that's basically, but he also has a claim. It's just further down, and he was he was the prince of Dragonstone until Rhaenyra was named heir, but. Yeah, it's even though they are married, and if she's queen, then he would be king consort normally. But yeah, it's interesting that she uses that term prince consort instead. Yeah, it's like a almost insult or a slight or something. Um, but then she, then she says, the Valerians are of the sea, but you and I are made of fire. 
And it's at that moment when Damon is facing out towards the sea and he, he turns his back to the ocean, leans back against the, the railing. And that seemed to me to symbolize or signal a shift in his idea that the oceans and across the sea and Pentos is his best path, path forward as he literally turns his back on the ocean and, oh, nice. and turns back to, to face her. And uh, she says, you know, we've, we've always been meant to burn together. And it's at this point where he replies in English saying that, you know, the natural language of Westeros, English, <laughs> nothing, you know, not related to England at all. <laughs> but uh, he says, we could not marry unless Lenor were dead. And this is when the gears start to turn for their little, their little plot. Uh, we'll talk more about that later on, as we mentioned. But they decide to ma- get married. And after Lenor is out of the way, they have their, their wedding which is really cool. The kids are hanging around. It's like a on a misty mountaintop, you know, and uh, the whole thing with the blood and the binding and candles around. I think there's candles, right? Yeah, I think so. I think they're red. Um, yeah, and just a really cool wedding ceremony. It very seemed like kind of very uh, old school, old Valyrian, you know, almost a paganistic, ritualistic type of feel to it, you know, with their yeah. little outfits that almost look like like old old you know kind of the japanese you know kimono and robe kind of thing they had like <laughs> or, or what some of the some of the red priests in in the east in the books um have you know these kind of robes on because like thoros of mir he doesn't really he, he just wears normal kind of westerosi garb you know right but i think even the though red, he's a red priest uh, who's that minerva or is that something else who's Kinvara? that red priestess yeah, Kinvara, the red priestess who visits Danny in Ast- not Astapor in Marine. Right. Um, like she has those kind of Eastern looking gowns or robes, priestly robes. So they're kind of those the robes that they have and that headpiece that Rhaenyra has on in the wedding ceremony. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Really cool, really cool looking. Um, and it's just a a real like you're getting you feel like you're getting deep into their culture and their, you know, their historical. Uh, culture because you know all Valeria is gone and yeah. these two houses are the only ones left. So you are obsessed with the history. Exactly. You're seeing them like embrace and and you know use that their their cult their old culture, their heritage, you know, the old ways. Uh, who's ha- who says that? The Ironborn? The old way. Uh, I'm not sure. Or maybe it's the North. Uh, I thought there was something about I know there's the iron paying the iron price. Uh, the Ironborn say, but I thought there was some a group or yeah, it sounds familiar to me too. Way. Anyway, and I can Google it, but you know it was really cool to see you know their that old Valyrian. I assume that's what it was, kind of wedding ceremony. Yeah, and the blood ritual, and they they slice their lip and they make like a little pyramid over their over their brow, right at the third eye, the pineal location of the mm-hmm. pineal gland, you know, which is a. Uh, has a cornea still in reptiles. Maybe it symbolized opening, you know, like opening their third eye, which is kind of a cool uh, uh-huh. thing. And yeah, the, I liked the whole blood ritual of them like slicing their hands up and binding the blood, like she said, and everything like that. Nice. It was really cool. Oh, just a quick uh, note: the old way is a term used by the Ironborn. Oh, there to you go. Refer to refer to their traditional lifestyle of reaving and plundering. Oh, according, according to the old way, the Ironborn raised their kings from their own numbers. 
So with the king's anyway, moot. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the old way is it is an ironborn thing. Nice. Good call. I sounded familiar to me too, but I, <laughs> I just couldn't place it. Same. So yeah, pretty badass. And it's after this whole wedding thing that we get the discussion of Sir Lenor and everything. We'll come back to that a little bit later on. Uh, anything else you want to add about the wedding and, and everything like that? Uh, no, I don't think so. Nice. So yeah, that pretty much wraps up my number three, which was the, just the pair of those two and their the evolution of their relationship in this episode, <laughs> which was pretty killer. So what's your number two? Uh, my number two is Allison is... <clears throat> let me try it again. <clears throat> you're, you're sending... You're not letting me speak the truth here. <laughs> you're sending a... Give me a force <clears throat> choke. <laughs> 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 uh, my number two is Allison is crazy. Uh, she... Her, she says, a, a debt must be paid. Oh, and what she, what she's like, Viserys is trying to like. Okay, everybody, say sorry and make like, up, show goodwill, and you know we'll put this matter to rest. And he kind of starts to walk over, and Allison says, "That is insufficient." Like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> a debt must be paid. And then, like, her solution to this is literally. Straight out of Hammurabi's code, an eye for an eye. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me take the eye of her second-born son and, and tries to get Kristen, employ Kristen Cole to do her dirty work with the king standing there and like, this is the these are the king's grandkids. Holy cow. Yeah. I, mean, I get it that she was wrong and Eamon lost an eye in this, you know, little kid fight. Not a cat fight, it's a kid fight. <laughs> um but her solution is literally an eye for an eye. So, you know, it. Rhaenyra tells her as much once uh, Alicent grabs the dagger. And uh, let me find it in the script because the way they wrote Rhaenyra's. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Uh, both of their uh, lines here. Is I really shall have good. one of her son's eyes in return. <laughs> yeah, as Bro. if Viserys would ever voluntarily maim his own grandson. Good luck with that. Like right. you were saying, Hammurabi's code. It seemed to be like a a combination of very a couple different biblical themes too, with uh, the eye for an eye concept, which you get in Exodus twenty one. Uh, but if there is harm, then you shall pay for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And then in nice. Leviticus twenty four, and a man who injures his countrymen, and he has done so, it shall be done to him. Fracture un, for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, uh, kind of mixed with the idea of Sol of uh, Solomon's judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, where the story where um, where the two women, the two women bring their baby before Solomon. Yeah, there's two women living in the same household, and one of the babies is smothered, and then they're like fighting over the remaining baby. And Solomon, tell his his judgment is to cut the baby in half and each of them get half, which is super fucked up. But <laughs> it's it's sort of like a combination of that scenario where these two women, Alicent and Rhaenyra, are living in the same house. And instead of fighting over a child, they're fighting for the rights of their child over the one spot on the throne, basically. Mm -hmm. And here, instead of maiming the child by cutting it in half, she's suggesting 
judgment in the form of an eye for an eye. So it kind of felt to me as like an amalgamation of those two concepts of Solomon's yeah, judgment. Absolutely. But the cool thing about Solomon's judgment and his wisdom, it seems like this harsh judgment, but they they go to do it. And the I'm trying to remember exactly how it plays out. But basically, one woman says, OK, that's fine. And the, and the other woman, who's the true mother, says, no, 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 no. Give the baby to her. She'd rather the baby be whole and her lose her child than to the baby to be killed. So right. then Solomon says, no, give it to her. She's the true mother. So, as you know, as he was doing that to, you know, to. It's a decisive, you know, drastic action. But before, you know, it could actually come to pass it's like a test. Yeah. He exactly. He was testing to see. And then he found out who the real mother was and could, you know, actually seek justice. Uh, so it's, you know, Allison is sort of, you know, she has the knife up and she's, you know, giving uh, kind of. Giving Rhaenyra, you know, down in the country, just, you know, giving it to her. Um, where's duty? Where is sacrifice trampled under your pretty foot again? Another great line. Um, yeah, it's really good. Uh, somebody says, "Release the blade, Allison." I think that was her father. Oh, that was yeah, that was was Otto. Uh, was Otto. <laughs> and then uh, Ray Rhaenyra she does um, not. No, she holds on to it for a while longer, and Allison keeps talking. Says, "And now you take my son's eye, and even to that you feel entitled." <laughs> and then Ray Rhaenyra finally comes back and says, "Exhausting, wasn't it? Hiding beneath the cloak of your own righteousness." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But now they see you as you are. And so uh, then then they release and Rhaenyra gets cut. But uh, just I mean, those those words are Biting. just as sharp as the knife. And yeah. I mean, they're just slashing. <laughs> yeah. They're just giving each other, you know, a literal verbal lashing. Just uh, but Rhaenyra feels like she is, you know, she gets cut, but she feels like she has won the, the tactical advantage uh, with. Viserys's favor and Allison, you know, says this in her scene with Otto yeah, true. is that now now Viserys will always, you know, favor Rhaenyra opposed to me and, and our sons. Uh, and she Helena. baited her just like the way Kristen Cole baited <clears throat> Har Sir, Har Lord, uh, Sir Harwin, you know, in the training yard. Right. Yeah, because coming at somebody with a knife in that situation makes you look crazy. I mean, you're just in the heat of a passion and just you're mad and you're enraged and that you feel like the king isn't giving you justice. So yeah. you take matters into your own hands. And guns to are all too the, quick. Yeah. You can't save her on little emotions. <laughs> and to, to the bystander, <laughs> Allison looks like she is just crazy. Wild eyed. And bringing it back to the eye for an eye thing from what I gathered reading online, um, the phrase is used in the circumstance of court cases in the Bible. Um, so it like in implying it's intended to be a guiding ethic for legislators and judges, but not that it's meant to advocate for personal vengeance, which is what she seems to right. be going for here because the kid is like, don't worry about it. Don't mourn for me. You know, I may have lost <laughs> an exchange. eye, but yeah, but I gained a dragon, such an epic line. And, uh, it seems to be more, more personally driven with Allison here. So this is them very much telling us, you know, that she's in the wrong uh, by, by using this terminology and demanding this eye for an eye judgment. Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting. And she's perceived as crazy. You know, that, that's the main thing that, you know, I think Rhaenyra is counting on working in her favor going forward. Yeah. Obviously all the Valerians are there. The king, most of the King's guard is there. I mean, they have a sworn duty to the King, but, 
um, obviously word's going to get out that the queen attacked the print, the crown princess. Oh yeah. Uh, with the Valyrian steel dagger off that she just jacked from the king. Wow. Yeah. It was cool too. When like, she's holding up the knife and we get like close ups of the blade and it's just surrounded by fire behind it. It's backlit. And you're just imagining the letters being written on the blade as the seriousness of the moment comes into play. Yeah, was, I, I did note as Rhaenyra is looking at it with the fire in the background for that moment, it was interesting the lines that Alicent was saying in that moment, forever upholding the kingdom, the family, the law. Right. And Rhaenyra is, Alicent is saying that, but Rhaenyra is hearing it and looking at the blade, which is her in the background. And that's her duty for, to forever uphold the kingdom, the family, the Targaryen family and the law. It's like, Oh man. So it was like, yeah, and she's like being Alec, reminded of her own, uh, you know, uh, situation and what she's got to do in that circumstance. So she's like, I can't be killed here. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any legitimate kids. <laughs> the family part. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Maybe she will though. Now that she's got a, a Targ husband. Hey, hey, she got a Targaryen husband. <laughs> oh man. Anything else you want to add? I think that pretty much it covers up my Allison is crazy. So, yeah. Oh, I, uh, I was trying to list some crimes she committed right there. Attempted murder of the <laughs> princess of Dragonstone <laughs> assault. I mean, she assaulted her with a deadly weapon. Theft. Um, she stole the dagger from the King th- theft. Uh, I don't know what else. Coveting something, you know, I don't know. <laughs> like actually crimes that Viserys could like just say. Right. Yeah. Throw, like, her, in the, throw her in the black cells. <laughs> yeah. We need more black cells action. That's for sure. Yeah. Not letting people go. We need Laris to clubfoot and Allison get thrown in. There. <laughs> no way. Laris, he needs to survive. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. He just creates too much drama and tension to so uh, awesome. be, be uh, kicked out of the. Uh, situation this early yeah yeah yeah. i'm loving hating him he's so good uh so my number two is just the the concept of choosing sides which we see a lot of in this episode right off the bat during the funeral scene as vaymond is you googleizing lena (laughs) sorry zoolander (laughs) a you googleizer one who speaks at funerals or did you think I'd be too stupid to know what a you googly was? <laughs> oh, for eulogy. Yeah. Yeah. He's eulogizing. Uh, nice. Lena speaking in high Valyrian and in their customs. And we get beautiful close-up shot of the sarcophagus. And remember how I mentioned that those helmets leading into the Hall of Nine reminded me of Egyptian helmet style helmets? Mm-hmm. Again, here, the sarcophagus with its intricately carved face and everything all over it another sort of similarity and parallel to e- Egypt, but he's, he's doing the whole thing. You Google her here and he's reading a, you know, speaking in high Valyrian and talking about how the, the Valerian b- blood runs thick, runs true and must never thin. And as he's saying it, he's first kind of grilling Damon and then he starts grilling Rhaenyra and the bastards kind of glaring at them. And I was thinking, man, if this is his sentiment, and he really cares about the Valerian bloodline, then he may end up at at odds with Corlys here, who's willing to pass on their legacy to bastards for their name. And so, as we see the whole Valerian house 
ripped to shreds, basically, in this these two episodes with Lena dying and then Lenor dying, quote unquote. <laughs> I'm wondering if we're also about to see a fracturing of the house in general as Vaymond may side with the Greens and the pure Valerian blood and Corliss siding with the Blacks and the Bastards. And uh, so that that hmm. seemed that was pretty interesting to me. We talked about how Damon chuckled because the Valerian blood, when he when Vaymond is talking about the blood never running thin, it already is running thin, and the proof is right there, standing right there. So, uh, yeah, it seems like Vaymond might know and might be on his way to siding with the Greens, which is kind of interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't even remember Vaymond in the books. He may be mentioned in passing. He may be talked about a lot. I don't, I don't remember him at all, but... I don't remember a lot of stuff. It's been <laughs> like three or four years since I read it, and I'm not going to reread it until the dance part of the show is over. over. Yeah, so for sure. I, I just so the things that I've forgotten is good. like I don't remember the book version of what happens with Lenore and Carl, and everybody's like, "Oh, they changed it. They did this and they did this." I'm like, I think yeah, they I don't just remember Lenore at all. Detail hardly. from what I hear, exactly. And it's okay. Was it the history books got it wrong, or they outright changed it? So yeah, good question. Pretty cool. Good pretty question. that whole funeral scene at the beginning was was really cool. How they commit their dead back to the sea, to the Mer- Merling King. Merling King. Uh, so yeah, really. Also, just a uh, great job to the dude who put together the Valyrian language from George's few words that he created yeah. in the books. Because man, it sounds really cool. Well executed by all the actors in this show, and sounds really like. Yeah, we're- uh, you know, uh, affluent or like high class mm-hmm. and yeah, sort of like Elvish in Lord of the Rings, just this yeah. like, you know, f- beautiful flowing language. And, and it's written in, in a similar way in Lord of the Rings to where it's has this cool design, you know, aesthetic look to it when it's written on paper or whatever. Oh, yeah, true. So it, it, and we're getting a lot more of it. Like Danny said it a little bit. And uh, who is the slaver in Astapor who she got the Unsullied from? Oh, uh, Krasis Monastus. Mo- yeah, I'll call. I'll, I used to call him Krasny Monasty, um, <laughs> but he, you know, he she tricked him by knowing High Valerian, and then she had her, you know, she mic drop moment when she took the Unsullied and no vagaries. Um, so and bad. She gave him Drogon, and then re- released the re- released the Drogon um, <laughs> on on the slavers. Man, that was one of my favorite scenes in the first. That in season three, that may be the end of two ish, somewhere around two, season two, season three. But Danny so you know, starting cool, to come into power out there, you know, in the far east. Legendary moment, so badass. But getting way more Valyrian, like just in interpersonal conversations, and especially with Damon and Rhaenyra, it's, way but it's more. cool to see the Valerians use it too. Yeah, love it. So yeah, we get we may see Corlys and Vaymond at odds. And speaking of Valerians being at odds, at odds with one another, we see that happening with Corliss and Rhaenys as well in this episode. We start to see them sort of gravitate towards certain sides. Whereas Rhaenys had been very friendly and receptive towards Rhaenyra previously, like when Rhaenyra was watching uh, the king down there hanging out with little Lena <laughs> in the yeah, garden. Yeah. And Rhaenys was waiting to talk with her. And they sort of related and talked about the emotions of dealing with being a woman and, and worrying about your airhood and everything. At the funeral after party here, Rhaenys goes up to grab a drink next to Rhaenyra and just 
ignores her entirely and turns and walks the other direction. Ice cold. Ice cold. Ice cold. And uh, so then that's like a hint that she's sort of sort of deciding to side with the greens, I felt like. And later we're in the Hall of Nine with Corliss and Rainey's and they're having that conversation that we discussed somewhat earlier. And uh, Rainey's starts off by saying, oh, she wanted to come home and he denied her. So there we hear Rainey's turning against Damon also, mm-hmm. blaming Damon. You know, she needed our maesters here, but Corliss defends Damon saying he only did what he thought was best. And, you know, you're trying to bl- place blame for an act of the gods. The surgeons in Pentos are as well-trained as our maesters. That's an interesting thing to learn. So they do have some sophisticated medicine in Essos, apparently, surgery-wise. Uh, <laughs> um, so I thought that was kind of a cool line, though. You're looking to place blame for an act of the gods. Like, you know, there's nothing that anybody could have done about this. The baby didn't want to come out. <laughs> you know, you can't blame Damon for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was his offspring, so maybe <laughs> maybe you can blame him for the genetics of whatever would cause that. Um, but that's when she says, uh, you know, maybe the gods have scorned us for our insatiable pride, meaning you, you and your insistence, not you, Zach, him, <laughs> his <laughs> insistence on winning the crown. Like I had predicted, not predicted, but sort of speculated about a few episodes ago. Seems like he's been using her prior claim to the throne as a shield for his own ambition as he charges forward, <laughs> claiming it's under the guise of wanting something for her. But really, he's he's selfishly wanting to raise his own house and his own um, legacy. Like I said, selfish, so it's perfect match for Rhaenyra and, <laughs> and, her, and her choosing desire and lust over duty. Although that's mostly a joke at this point because she said she did try to to follow, fulfill her duty and have one of Lenor's children. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I I really feel for Rainey's in this scene who, uh, she, you know, she's just, she's losing all of her kids basically. <laughs> and oh. and uh, you can tell she's really frustrated. And uh, she's she's like, dude, I gave up the idea of wearing a crown forever ago, but. Let's let's like let's abandon this uh, falsehood that you're that you're pushing this for my legacy when you, we know it's really you and this is what we <laughs> want for you. But then she shifts gears and she's like, you know, legacy may be why you live your life, but I want Driftmark to pass through Lena's line to Bela, the true Valerian blood. <laughs> Declare it now while we're all gathered here. And we'll say mm. that this is how we will honor Lena's memory. And she basically speaks the 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 forbidden words out loud here. She, you yeah. know, she's like, Corliss is like, and disinherit our son. She's like, he'll be the king consort. He'll sit the Iron Throne. Uh, and he's like, you would have me cast an even darker shadow, shadow over those little boys that already exists. And she's like, dude. We're alone here, although maybe not, <laughs> you know, because you never know who's listening. Yeah, uh, Larry Strong made the trip, so yeah, there's, always, yeah, and he's a, there's always some rats in the wall. <laughs> yeah, so uh, she's like, we're alone here. You can speak the plain truth as we both know it. And she out, she says it outright, Rhaenyra's children are not of your blood. And and he kind of like is, you know, like a 
a deer in the headlights for a moment and she takes his hand to, to let her let him know how serious she is. But Lena's are, they're her legacy. History does not, and this is when he says the line, history does not remember blood. It remembers names. And he whips his hand away from her and stands up and walks away. And it's like the joining of these two people. Like we just watched it fracture at that moment when he ripped his hand from her. And I thought it was crazy because like I said, I didn't understand this quote from the trailer, but in context, it's epic and has so much meaning. And people deciding what's important, you know, uh, whether your family is your family or you can pick your family or whether your name's important or your blood's important. There's a lot of reasons for people to choose either side, but it's like in this moment where Corliss goes team black and Rainey's goes team green. And oh, I hope not. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's what's <laughs> happening, dude. I'm calling it right now. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, and she's got a dragon too. So yeah, R- R- Rainey's seems dumbfounded by his choice as he walks away for her. The one who's, the one who he's been claiming to fight for this whole time. And when he walks away, it really, you know, shows that it's never really been about her at all. It's been, been about his own ego mm-hmm. and his own selfishness, just like Rhaenyra. So, um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's going to be, I, I am foreseeing a split between not only the house of the dragon, but the house of the seahorse as well. We're going to nice. see uh, another house divided here. So there's some choosing sides. Then we get Amond coming back in from his midnight ride. The midnight rider. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, such a good song. Love that song. Who is that? Um, the band? Um. Allman Brothers. Catch the Midnight Rider. Greg Allman. Yeah, good good one. Nice, dude. Yeah, I love that song. So good. So, uh, Amond comes back in from his Midnight Ride, and he's intercepted in the tunnel by Jace, Lucerius, Bela, and Reyna. <laughs> God, those two are so hard to get straight. <laughs> And uh, conflict ensues. The girls are mad, claiming that Vagar was their mother's dragon and that by riding him, Amond has stolen the dragon. Reyna is saying that she was hers to claim, and Amond's like, well, you should have claimed her then. You know, it's... <laughs> can't can't uh, waste any time with dragons, I guess, because somebody else is going to want to swoop in there for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially with Vagar, unfortunately for the uh, the little girl. And uh, Manny throws it back in her face and says, "Maybe your cousins can find you a pig to ride." And <laughs> he's like, after being on top of Vagar, the most powerful, dangerous weapon on the, in the world. He seems to be like riding on this power rush and just like mm-hmm. super stubborn in his and secure in his himself at this point in time. A total transformation from what we've seen of his character beforehand, being kind of meek and underspoken, and now he's being very direct and <laughs> and brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so badass. <laughs> it said so. Uh, so uh, they're yelling back and forth, and he threatens to feed him to the dragon. And one of the little girls runs at him and tries to attack him, and he tosses her aside, and chaos just ensues. And he's pummeling everybody that comes 
to him, cracking him in the face, and they're squealing and dropping in different directions. And a lot of people are going to be looking at him as the bad guy here, but let's be real. He just got teamed up against by four people who jumped him in, the, in, in a tunnel and uh, all jumped on him to attack him. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say he's the bad guy in this situation. I think there's equal blame to go around at a minimum. <laughs> what, what do you think? Yeah, I'm uh, obviously biased uh, towards, you know, <laughs> Team Team Blacks, but you know, it, obviously, yeah. He, no, <laughs> Lena and Lena and Bela are very legitimate. Oh, true, um, true. They, um, you know, they the one of the little girls definitely runs at him first. So that's that's the first. You know, they trade words, but that's the first action in in the scenario. So you you know, I think it's probably fair to say that they started you know the physical confrontation, and he tosses one of them aside. Um, I think another one of the boys comes in and tries to get a lick on him. Then the other girl does get a lick on him. And then he just punches her right back in the face, <laughs> knocks her down. Uh, then the two boys, you know, team up and uh, Eamon beats them up a little bit. But then eventually they all four kind of overpower him and they're just wailing on him for a little while. But eventually kicks a few of them off <laughs> and regains the upper hand. And then he gets a rock in the situation and he kind of holds it up, but doesn't do anything for a second. Uh, and then shortly after this, uh, Jaceris, I believe the oldest uh, of Rhaenyra's boys, pulls out the knife. Uh, and then it's like, oh, man, it just went from a little fistfight tussle to rocks and knives. <laughs> so, well, I mean, you can understand him picking up the rock as he's being outnumbered by four people. Right, right. Uh, then I think the knife gets knocked down yep. um, along with Jaceris. And it, and then Lucerus ends up picking up the knife. Um Jaceris throws some sand in Eamon's face. That's always a dirty move. Uh, Gladiator. Throwing sand in his face. Um, and doesn't, in Bloodsport, doesn't his oh, the yeah. big final boss throw sand or chalk or something and John in uh, Van Damme's face. Van Damme's eyes. <laughs> and he's blind. like, <laughs> Van Damme's acting, man. It's like, <laughs> um, <laughs> But anyway, he, he catches a punch or catches a kick. Or something before he regains the upper hand in the fight. Anyway, so and then that's when so Eamon's like got sand in his eyes. And then all Lucerus was trying to do was help Eamon get the sand out of his eye <laughs> with the knife. So he's trying to slash that sand right out of his eye. You know, so they slash him and then that, you know, is a pretty much is, is an end to it. But it's definitely plenty of blame to go around. He's the oldest. So should he try to. Uh, de-escalate it. I mean, if they should all have tried to de-escalate it, but uh, they're is this trying a stand to stand your ground state. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm sure Driftmark is a stand your ground castle uh, doctrine. Uh, it's a castle doctrine in the castle. <laughs> in the castle. Um, so you know, they're like, yeah, definitely plenty of blame to go around. You know, the girls kind of started it because they feel like their mother's dragon was stolen from them. Um, but it is dragons are sort of a first come, first served you know, co yeah. kind of commodity. Yeah, dragons, nobody's property. That's for sure. And like he said, uh, you know, they may feel like it's theirs to claim, but where's I, that written? I uh, feel like, you know, so. a G5 airplane is mine to claim, but that doesn't mean it is. <laughs> right, yeah, that is yours. A G5 airplane. Yes. And Play. 
So Amon ends up pretty significantly maimed for life, but still, even after all the uh, arguing, you know, knives being drawn in the Hall of Nine, he still feels like he came out on top. You know, a fair exchange. I've lost an eye, but I've gained a dragon. So bad. Which is that that line he says is straight out of the books. Oh yeah, I, I, I heard that really good line. I must have I must have remembered it because I like predicted it as he was saying it. So it was probably lingering in my mind from everything I used to know about all this stuff. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so the, the fight in the tunnel, we're seeing the factions form there as everybody teams up against Amund, and those are the sides that we're going to be seeing in the future, potentially foreshadowing a uh, you know conflict between some of these people in the future. Yeah, all these all these kids, uh, dragon riders or potential dragon riders. Yeah, so okay, <laughs> potential chaos. <laughs> and we had had that moment of foreshadowing where Luceris and Amund went, you know, stood in front of each other face to face during the funeral, and ended up walking the other direction from one another. But here, it's Luceris who slashes Amund's uh, face. Correct, the younger of the two. Correct. Yeah. So. Might have been a little bit of foreshadowing earlier for that. <laughs> the second, the second sons are uh, at each other. Yeah, typical. <laughs> you will die screaming in flames, just as your father did, bastards! <laughs> yeah. And the little kid's like, like, "Wait, what? Lenor is still alive." Oh, oh man. my god! Because it was the older that one so who brutal. who questioned Rhaenyra. Uh, is Harwin strong, my father? That's Jaceris, the older one. Yeah, the younger boy is still probably of that age where he doesn't understand He's not what's picking going up on all yet. The nuances. Oh man! So what a way to find out the truth. And uh, it's a that's what results in the stabbing is that insult to their honor. It's when he like really decides to go through with it. Yeah, I think that's when the knife first comes out. Is after Aemon says that line. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. And uh, so after the slashing, <laughs> all of the Kingsguard appear miraculously from, from out of nowhere. And they're just like five of them standing there all of a sudden. But it's too late and the damage is done. And next we see everybody gathering in the Hall of Nine for the fallout. And we talked about most of this. Kristen Cole was supposed to have the watch. And he's, but he, he was MIA. Where was he? Was, was he, was he sneaking in some alone time with the queen? He was with Alicent. Mm, man. Yeah. He's supposed crack to be on corner. watch. ZB's theory. ZB's crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it was, it was cool. Graham McTavish, uh, the Lord who plays Lord commander, you know, he even says this cool phrase, uh, you have the night's watch, Sir Kristen. Yeah, that was a, that was cool. Yeah, so let's send him to the night's watch. <laughs> yeah, that could be, you know, that I could have seen that happening from when he pummeled Joffrey. Yeah, but nothing. He just got off scot-free because Allison wanted to uh, have a little boy toy. Yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> so uh, Viserys is just enraged. And Kristen Cole's like, well, the, the young prince was attacked by his own cousins, your grace, and the King's Guard has never had to defend princes from princes. And he's like, that's no excuse, you, you idiot. And uh, yeah, I really love Patty Considine's power that he brought to this scene. Yeah. He, I mean, out Viserys, of nowhere. Yeah, Viserys has seemed, you know, kind of old and decrepit, especially these last two episodes, lost, you know, all or part of his arm. Uh, he's just been kind of, stu- not stumbling around, but just kind of, he looks like a very, very old man. Hobbling. Um, yeah, hobbling. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but 
the cool thing about it being a, an actor portraying this character is the actor can summon, you know, some physical power in a scene that you might not think a character could have. But True. even an old man, you know, can summon, you know, the strength to command a situation from time to time. Like Jack Dempsey fighting off three robbers in yeah. Manhattan streets when he was like 73. Right, right, right. But, you know, he'd probably have to go to bed and take a nap right after that. But <laughs> it, it was cool to see, you know, the episode one, uh, Patty Constantine Viserys come out when he was, he had Black Fire sitting on the Iron yeah. Throne. When he banished Damon for the first time, he had that that power and that, you know, force behind him. Um, and he doesn't use that very often, but he, he used it here to... Uh, what's he say? This in, this interminable infighting must cease. Yeah, so good. So good. Yeah, he really stepped up in that moment. There's another part too where he's like, silence. Or no, he says, he says, enough. And nobody's listening. And then he's like, enough. And nobody's listening. And then he's like, silence. <laughs> and the whole place just goes like dead quiet. Yeah, and it was like, whoa, nice. he just erupted. Everything's going to crap. Everybody's arguing about the situation. The maester says that the flesh will heal, but the eye is lost. Yeah, just chaos. We pretty much talked about most of this, but uh, I was really surprised to see that Rhaenyra willingly brought up the fact that this resulted from the legitimacy of her son's births being put loudly to question. Yeah, what so audacity for her to speak it aloud yeah. Yeah. in front of everybody. Right. She has to say that's what that there that's the treasonous yeah. behavior that's occurring because it's an affront to her. But you know, but yeah, just speaking it out loud gives it some degree of legitimate I mean it's obviously it's accurate, <laughs> but they're <laughs> trying to keep she's trying to keep the lid on this thing. Uh but just speaking it even as it as making an accusation of a treasonous crime, uh even speaking, though uttering the words is uh, not good. Breaks the spell, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah. the moment where somebody tells the emperor they're, they're not wearing any clothes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I was like, oh my God, she's putting herself in crazy danger by admitting this out loud. And uh, that was pretty shocking. And like you said, she's trying to play the treason card to use it to punish Alicent. And she, mm -hmm. Alicent is trying to play the assault on the sun's card to punish Rhaenyra. They're both trying to punish mm. each other. Um, and uh, it was interesting, too. The Viserys goes over and he's demanding answers from Aemond. And he's telling you, your king wants answers, right? And Aemond is like looking over towards Alicent. Like, we're pretty sure that it's Alicent who we heard it from. And she's mm -hmm. looking nervous, like, oh, oh my, oh my. And, <laughs> and then finally... You know, and even Viserys looks back over towards Alicent, noticing that Aemond is looking at Alicent. And then finally, Aemond is, says that uh, it was Aegon <laughs> who we heard it from. And Aegon's like, me? me. <laughs> totally confused by that. Uh, he, he's still probably half blitzed from yeah. his, uh, all the wine he had. <laughs> true, true, true. And like, what? Aemond was, what? yeah, he was smart enough to, um, to give, run some cover for his mom there because you know, the king isn't going to, like, do anything bad to Aemond or to Aegon, his son, but, you know, he could have put the wife to death or something like that, for sure. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and then it was a good choice, too, because Aegon is, handles it really smartly. 
Viserys comes up to him, and you, boy, where did you hear such calumnies? Which was a kind of a cool word. I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with that term. Aegon, he yells again, tell me the truth of it. And he's just like, we know, father. Everyone knows. Just look at them. <laughs> and he says it out loud. The truth. Oh in full. Everybody knows. Stop denying it. Look at them. It's all the evidence we need, you know? And I was just like, oh my God, this is, this is madness. Like, it's out. One of the cat's out of the bag. The bell has been rung. You can't unring the bell. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, like, it's out. And this is the point where he yells, this interminable infighting must cease. All of you, we're family, you know? <laughs> it's so sad. He's trying to will it into existence. Yeah, yeah. We're family. You know, he doesn't care about the legacy. He doesn't care who's going to get the throne and who's bastards and who's not bastards. All he wants is to for love and his family. Everybody's here and everybody's fighting. He's kept the realm at peace but he can't do it for his own family, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like Boomhauer and King of the Hill, how he's, he's got conspiracies about everything, but his wife is sleeping with John Redcorn, you know? And it's like he <laughs> knows all about all the conspiracies everywhere else, except right next to him, you know? Yeah. And it's like the reverse yeah. of that with, with, uh, with Viserys, who's like got peace handled on the realm, but he just can't control his family around him from fighting. And it's really sad. His voice cracks, as he's speaking, mm. now make your apologies and show goodwill to one another. <laughs> your father, your grandsire, your king demands it. <laughs> and um, just comes across really sympathetically in this moment as like strong, yeah. but also old and sad. And and uh, everybody is just like shocked into silence as he sort sort of shambles away. And this is when Allison, you know, says, this is, that is insufficient. And, you know, the whole, uh, the whole, I shall have one of her eyes, her son's eyes in return thing. We talked about that. Um, and so after she drops the dagger, realizing what she's done and, and drops the dagger in horror and Kristen Cole picks up the dagger, we start to see the factions literally forming at that moment as Damon and Corliss kind of walk over and surround Rhaenyra protectively. <clears throat> and Kristen stands to protect Alicent. And, and it's like, you can see these two sides forming. I noticed Damon and Corliss are standing with Rhaenyra and then Rhaenys mm-hmm. is in the background and she kind of looks unsure about her position in that moment. Like she doesn't mm-hmm. want to be there. Yeah, and, I didn't notice Rhaenys in that moment. Yeah, you'll have to check it out. She's kind of, everybody's staring and looking forward and she's looking the other, like, other way, kind of like moving her head and back. Rhaenyra and is just standing there bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Typical. She's always walking around bleeding in this show, <laughs> show from one <laughs> from one gash or another. Oh, uh, <laughs> so so. Um, at least she would have, you know, let Lucerus choose which eye he w- he got to keep, a privilege that he did not grant her son. <laughs> Um, and so it's interesting. She she's like, you know, fine. Then I'll get justice myself. Um, and she turns to Sir Kristen and and tells her, "Bring me his eye, right? <laughs> Bring me the eye of Lucerus Valerian." And oh, the room is like dead silent. And in this moment, there's a little detail that I noticed where Sir Harold 
turns his head slightly to watch Sir Kristen's reaction. And that little movement told me that he doesn't, he, it seems he doesn't fully trust Kristen at this yeah, point. I don't think so. Um, and so he watches to see if he's got to make a move to draw his blade or something to defend the prince. But somehow... From, uh, from a king's guard. From a king's Holy guard. Dude, crazy. <laughs> but somehow, Kristen senses return and he's, she, she's like, you are sworn to me. And he's like, as your protector, my queen, not as your swordsman, you know, like not as your headsman. <laughs> your, your, your headsman, so yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, then Sir Harold turns his head forward again, like satisfied that Kristen like, is staying in line. I'm glad I didn't have to kill a fellow Kingsguard. Yeah, he's probably also not sure if he could. Right, uh, yeah, he's an old, older man. Yeah, and Kristen yeah. has seen actual battle. I don't know if he has or not, but... It was. It would have been unnerving to be in his position. And, I, I imagine. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I always imagine the Lord Commander having the strength and skill of Barristan Selmy. Yeah, but that's not always the case. Definitely not. <laughs> Barristan the Bold, legendary. Damn, one of the one of the greatest sword fighters in Westerosi history, from all accounts. Even at his old age, <laughs> pretty hardcore. Yep. And so, yeah, that's we're seeing the factions forming there as well. It's just crazy. Not only are the people dividing, but the dragons are switching sides as well at this point as Vagar is gained to the Greens side by Aemon's Midnight Ride. The best thing he possibly could have done for the, for the Greens, you know, losing no, an eye, totally worth the sacrifice to gain the, the power of like the the biggest nuclear weapons <laughs> around basically the megaton yeah. bombs and <laughs> yeah and so that that's my number 2 is just seeing the sides starting to form and the factions nice. developing at this point cool cool my number 1 we covered it you know was if you want him come and claim him you know the vagar okay, amen cool. scene so i just had notes after that my number 1 is the plot to free Lenor, so we'll just go through those scenes briefly. Nice. Yeah, that is a note. I just I wrote the ruse. Nice, nice. Yeah, and so, that was crazy because uh, in the moment I was like, "Oh man, they killed him!" Yeah, Rainier and Damon killed him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it? I want to like him, but holy cow, this this because this is gonna trick mess us. up. This is gonna mess up their relationship with the Valerians. Oh, and yeah. The, them backing, you know, the Blacks. Even because just creating they, the impression that they did will do that, too. Right, potentially. So, holy smokes, man. This, yeah, that, they, that whole ruse at the very end was They really crazy. tricked us into thinking that Rhaenys had, or Rhaenyra had gone morally ambiguous for a moment before revealing the truth that it was yeah, all a, a ruse, like, you know? Yeah, they, so... Man, that's like that the was... difference between Alicent and Rhaenyra in this episode is that Alicent willingly decides to team up with Laris and goes full dark side at the end, whereas Rhaenyra only pretends to go dark side for the optics. Right. But in yeah, fact, to, it's just yeah, mind to... games, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's wild. And, uh, you know, the the end of last week and this week, it's sort of like this whole, this tension and the drama all throughout the episode. But then the last five minutes... It's just like last week it was Heron Hall burning. Oh, yeah. Um, and Laris with his creepy, you know, voiceover monologue and uh, the rats crawling across Viserys' hearth. 
and you're like, you realize how sinister and diabolical Larris Clubfoot is. And then the kind of the trap that he has got Allison in uh, potentially. Oh, the queen ordered me to do it. It's like, <laughs> what? Uh, and then this episode, a Damon and Rhaenyra are teaming up and they're going to get married. And oh my God, <laughs> they're going to kill Lenor. And it's like, ah! oh my word, this is crazy tale. So much craziness. So fast. Yeah. Uh, crazy endings, these two episodes. Cool. So uh, this thread kind of begins this episode as we see Rhaena, Rhaenyra being stitched up by Maester... Did you catch his name? Uh, Mr. Kelvin. Kelvin. Yeah, it says it here in the script. Um, Mr. Kelvin is stitching up Rhaenyra's arm and pretty badass. She's just holding it out and just ah, fighting through the pain as her boys watch and learn about how to be a badass. <laughs> I, liked that. I liked that. Setting a good example for them. And... It's at this point where Lenor arrives <laughs> after being too too drunk the night before to be involved after the whole debacle when everybody was gathering in the Hall of Nine. So he shows up and he's like, oh, God, uh, what had happened? And, and Rhaenyra sends away the maester and sends away the boys as well so she can have a talk in private with Lenor. And Lenor is like, I should have been there. And she has a quick retort, which was brutal, brutal zing. Those should be our house words. <laughs> Ouch. Like, man, he's been, he's been an absent father, an absent husband, etc. And uh, he's like, I fought those fought dreadful enemies, but I could not defend my dear sister from home. And in agony, I could not defend you. And she's like, chill, sit down. We got to talk. Amond called our sons bastards. And he's like, oh, you know, he's doing his whole thing. Just super emotional. I failed you. Our marriage, our boys. I tried. I do love them. She's like, I know. But mayhaps not not loved them enough. <laughs> mm. And this is when we get the reveal that they had tried, you know, that she'd hoped to bear his children. Her heart was in it to do the right thing. But uh, didn't work out, and and the gods had different plans. And Lenor is lamenting about the gods making him as they did, having um, being cursed as 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 homosexual. But she but she comforts him, saying that she's not mad about it, and that mm -hmm. it's a rare thing to be an honorable man with a good heart. And you may be a goofball who sings loudly and doesn't show up. But at least you're not one of these conniving, <laughs> evil, evil right, you know, people. <laughs> backstabbing, plotting, you know, kind of people. Yeah, Wester, King's Landing, typical people. He's just kind of, you know, doing his thing. Exactly. And uh, so he's, he's saying, you know, we made an arrangement all those years ago to do our duty and yet explore happiness. But there are times when I think that these things cannot mutually exist, that I can't simultaneously do my duty to you and be happy. But with everything that's happening, you know, I'm, I'm recommitting myself to you and I'm sending Carl to, to the, continue fighting at the Stepstones, but I'm going to stay to strengthen our house and to prepare for you for your ascension. And she's like, Lenore, like, <laughs> come on, dude. Like, it hasn't worked all these past years. And it's not going to work. 
now, you know, and she's mm-hmm. trying to interrupt him to tell him something, but he just keeps talking. You deserve better than what I've been. You deserve a husband. And so I was wondering if if she began hatching the plot with him at, at now at this point, but it doesn't seem like it. It seems like the plot begins later when they're when she's talking with um with Damon before they're getting married. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering the very end of the last thing Lenore says is you deserve better than what I've been. You deserve a husband. So that may kind of plant the idea in Rhaenyra's head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, you know, she's already slept with Damon, you know, on the beach, you know, the night before. So, you know, she may have already been thinking about that, but he says you deserve a husband. And she's like, you know, we take that to mean Lenore recommitting himself to, to, you know, being her husband and being part of the family and helping her raise the boys and all that. But it obviously goes in an opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs> big time, big time. Uh, and I think it probably for the better for everybody, you know? Um, so they, they're fi- she finally tells Damon that she thinks they should be married and that they've, all, they've always been meant to burn together. And Damon says, we could not marry unless Lenar were dead. And she stands there and seriously considering the, the, the statement and the implications. And she's like, I know. But I think this is when the plan starts to be hatched because this is when the montage starts and we see um, <laughs> Damon approaching Carl at the, the port with his hood up. And you know, the, the hood's up. So we, we think if there, we know something's, go, something's going on. Some <laughs> yeah, kind of he's plotting. In Darth, Darth Kermit mode. Kermit with the <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Darth Damon. Totally. And so... Uh, He's like, oh, I've heard about your exploits in the Stepstones. Look at you. You're, you're common born, but you have all these fancy clothes and everything. <laughs> a landless knight with a lord's taste. And he's explaining, so, well, Sir Lenor has been kind to me. But Damon explains that, you know, there are places across the narrow sea where names don't matter. And just the amount of gold you have matters. And Carl's like, what? what Gets the idea that he's trying to bribe him or offer money for some deed. He's mm-hmm. like, what are you asking of me, my lord? A quick death, one with witnesses. And it cuts back to Rhaenyra, who's expl- explaining, you know, I, I, I won't be a tyrant and rule through terror. Um, so, da- <laughs> so Damon must have said, well, let's kill him. And she's like, oh, I'm not going to be a tyrant and rule through terror. But Damon's mm-hmm. like, you know, if a king isn't feared, he's powerless if you have to, if you're going to be a strong queen, you must cultivate love and respect. Yes, but your subjects also must fear you so they don't cross you. And right, yeah, right, right. Before that, she's um, she says she will not be a tyrant and rule through terror. And Damon says a tyrant rules only through oh, terror. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But so Damon's saying you can use terror and fear, but as long as you don't only <laughs> use that method. <laughs> Then, you know, and then he goes into that, you know, if a king isn't feared, he's powerless. So Damon's saying, I think Damon's saying you can use terror, but you can't only use terror. Yeah, that makes sense. I I had a little dyslexic moment in reading the script. and I I read it, a tyrant only rules through terror, uh, which for some reason registered differently in my brain, even though it means the same thing. (laughs) So um, it's at this point where he, it cuts to Damon sneaking into the Hall of Nine where there's a, a black guy chilling, basically. He sneaks up behind him and he assassins Creed's that guy. <laughs> yeah, snaps his neck. 
takes them out. Apparently, it's way harder to snap a neck than it's always portrayed in movies and stuff like that, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. But the game is on here, right? And so we get the scene of Damon killing the guy and Lenor coming into the hall and finding uh, Carl there waiting for him. And he's like, who let you in here? Why are you in my father's hall? And Lenor's tone here tells me that he's in on it, that he knows the plan. Because otherwise he'd be like, hey, Carl, what's up, buddy? You know, but instead (laughs) he's like kind of as a hostile uh uh, aggressive confrontational tone seeing his mm-hmm. his boo you know what I mean like, which shouldn't be an unusual thing but they're cr- posturing as like this aggressive confrontation uh, I think him j- kind of challenging him what are you doing in my father's hall kind of shows you the still you know semi hush hush nature of their relationship like oh. everybody knows that Lenore and the squires hang out yeah 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 uh, and joust but for him, for, you know, one of Lenore's uh, friends to be hanging out in the Hall of Nine is, I guess, you know, sort of taboo. It's yeah, like, for you know, sure. It can be seen around the castle and around the island of Driftmark. And we know you, you know, that same with him and Joffrey, like they keep company. But for one of his partners to be right there sitting in the Hall of Nine, like he owns the place is sort of like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, pretty crazy. For sure. So, so uh, although I think that the tone and with which he said it still implied that there was, you know, like he was more upset about it than just surprised by it. You know, like they could get yeah. that dynamic across if he's like, "Oh, what you doing in here, bro? Like, how'd you get in here?" But instead, he's like, mm-hmm. "Who let you in here?" You know? Yeah, it's a challenge. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they're like creating this aggressive posture on top of uh, on top of that dynamic, and and uh, it cuts back to D- Damon and Rhaenyra, and she, Rhaenyra's like, "I do love Lenor." And Damon says, then grant him this kindness, set him free. And at the first watch, I'm thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, he means like oh, wow. kill him, do, yep. the, do, the, do the good thing and just slit his throat quietly, you know, like eliminate him quickly before it gets too bad for him. But then on, on rewatching, it's uh, I think it, that this it's at this moment where they've just can come up with the plan and they're they're you know agreeing to do it and she's like i do love him like this would be kind of a good idea and he's like then do it grant him this kindness set him free uh, and my guess is from here they're they're still on driftmark so from here damon probably goes to carl and she probably goes to lenor and i imagine her conversation with lenor going something like this like she's probably you know lenor had just said you deserve better than what i have been you deserve a husband she's probably says something like you know, comes back and says, Lenor, you know, said I deserve better what, than what you have been, but you cannot be what you are not. You know, you said I deserve a husband, and yet you deserve a husband as well. <laughs> you know, right. uh, you've come before me willing to sacrifice your happiness for duty, which is that, that concept that we get love versus duty, love being the death of duty. He's willing to give up love to devote himself to her for duty because he believes that both cannot exist mutually, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So she's like, let's just d- both do what we want for real, finally, and and once and for all. You're, you're willing to give up everything, and so you're going to have to, to do this. You're going to have to give up your name, your inheritance, 
but since you're offering me your devotion and acknowledging that duty and happiness can't mutually exist for you, I'm offering the opportunity to do the reverse, to give up your duty and to give up your inheritance and to give up your obligations and to embrace your happiness. Renounce your name and your claims and be free and go take Carl and just get out of here to Essos, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And in some way, I was thinking that Maybe Rhaenyra sees a bit of Alicent in Lenor, in the fact that he's he's trying to follow the rules and be dutiful. You know the way that she's holding the bullet when Alicent's trying to stab her, and she's like, "All I've ever done is follow the rules and do my duty," and you know, and being forced to be in that position and giving up real love for duty, it's caused the anger to bottle up inside of her until the point where she's finally <laughs> trying to stab Rhaenyra, and uh, I think that she's maybe worried that being forced to live in that way might also be really damaging to Lenor. And we can see because he's in his cups all the time. He's drunken. He's, he's in a horrible condition. And so maybe by allowing Lenor to leave Westeros to forfeit his name and family and inheritance and, you know, and his obligations to run off with Carl, she's in a way granting Lenor the freedom that she's unable to grant Alicent. Who's, who she seems to care about, but she can't do anything to help her situation, really. She's mm-hmm. stuck in the marriage with the king. She's stuck in the in being the pawn of her father and uncle. And uh, I think that Rhaenyra seems to understand the, the predicament that Alicent is in and realize how horrible it is to be trapped in duty with no opportunity for love. She's been through it herself, you know, also. And so um, maybe in a strange way, Helping Lenore is her way of like trying to help Alicent, you know, <laughs> like and sort of like coming to terms with with Alicent in a certain way. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, she she they seem to need him out of the way, but you That's, know, it, yeah, they make us think that that he's gonna you know that they're gonna to kill him, but you know, I don't know if they if he resisted their plan, they may you know. She probably did come to him with this plan, and if he didn't accept it, they were going to resort to, okay, it's this plan, or instead of faking your death, we're going to kill you. It's going to <laughs> it's going to be your death. Yeah. So, you know, but they probably. I mean, I don't. I mean, he just lost his sister, and now his parents are going to think that he's gone too. So that's and think of the kid, like little Lucerus, the second born. He, you know, until Amond, you know, spilled the beans in the tunnel in the fight. He still thought Lenor was his father. So these kids think that this person they've been told is their father this whole time just died in the fireplace. These True. kids these kids have been through it. Yeah. And the, the older one, you know, sort of knows that Harwin Strong is his dad. And Harwin Strong just got burned alive. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think of the kids and, you know, what they've been through and, Golly. And now they have Damon as his stepdad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they can learn some High Valyrian, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but he'll like them all since they have dragons. Oh, Ex- yeah, you know, true. For baby Joffrey, you know, so far, but Jaceris and Lucerus. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a crazy plot with, you know, getting Lenore to buy off on it and to uh, to sail away and be free. 
Yeah, so crazy. I really bought it. I thought that Leonard was dead until that last shot where they show him rowing out into the distance mm-hmm. like Gendry. <laughs> like a lot of Gendry references this episode. Yeah, he got the Gendry, Gendry treatment. Running, you know, Aemond running around like Gendry across the frozen plains. And here we got <laughs> Lenor Gendrying off into the distance in the rowboat. Yeah, so that was pretty crazy. Uh, I think that they each split their, you know, they, like they they came up with a plot, Rhaenyra and Damon, and then Rhaenyra went to, to Lenor to inform him of his half of the plan. And Damon went to Carl. So... They they had the body stashed somewhere in the Hall of Nine already because that's where Damon killed the dude. So what do you think happened? Lenor goes in. They start to sword fight. The 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 little dude runs out to go get help, and then quickly they take off his clothes and yep. put him on the body and mm-hmm. toss him in the I fire. Guess so <laughs> but they may have already they may have gotten some because we're not sure what time has passed between when Damon snapped that guy's neck now. So they may have already had him dressed mm. and ready to throw it to the fireplace as true, soon as the true. little kid runs out. They replace the body in the fireplace and then they uh, get the heck out of Dodge. But it's, yeah. uh, and, and part of the, when, when Lenor challenges him, what do you, who let you in my father's hall? Part of that was to have this antagonistic show of animosity between the two for the wit, for that little boy. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. That little boy runs off and says, Lenor and uh, Carl are sword fighting in the hall of nine. Uh, quick, come get help. And then it's, they come, it, yeah. the guards come in and there's a dead body in the fireplace burning. It's like, brutal. So brutal. And Rainey's is just destroyed by this. You know, oh, she's man. just like, ah, <laughs> beside herself. Yeah. I think that she's going to split with, uh, with Corliss. There's going to be a, some estrangement going on, I think. And they're going to, split sides of the dance. It's going to be crazy. Crazy. Very crazy. Yeah, because she has Melis, the the Red Queen. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, anything else you want to add about the the plot? I don't think so. Uh, so, yeah, first watch, it seems like, you know, they kill him, but Carl kind of undermines them and sneaks away. And kind of gets the best of both worlds out of the situation. Yeah, that's but, what I thought too. You know, after thinking about it for a while and then watching it again, you know, Damon snap. Damon wouldn't snap the guy's neck. That's the key piece of yeah. is Damon and are Damon and Rhaenyra in on this? Yep, or did exactly. Carl, or did Carl pull one over on them um, after the fact after his meeting with Damon? And Damon snapped the guy's neck. You know, and everybody's pretty sure that's the guy who ends up in the fireplace. Um, so if Damon's in on it, Rainier is in on it. Yeah. Uh, since this whole thing is to for them to be able to get together and, yeah. be, and get, you know, legally get married. So it's, you know, after watching it, it's like, oh, okay, this is just one big ruse. Dude. And then they're using that. Damon and Rainier are using that. Um, they will fear what else we might be capable of. You yeah. know, Damon's sort of like, okay, let, let them whisper. Um, that, so that'll good. help. Rainier is not going to f- rule only through terror, but she's going to use this fear and terror of she might kill her own husband. Yeah. yeah. What she, else might she be capable of? So use yeah. that to help rule the, you know, rule the seven kingdoms. So smart. She'll get all the benefits of the fear of the people without having any of the, uh, the burden on her conscience of actually having committed an atrocity against her husband. Oh. So best cool. of both worlds. Absolutely. All right, so let's move into notes. I noticed something funny 
when a Rhaenyra is arriving to the funeral after party and she, she shows up and one of the first people she makes eye contact with is Alicent who's standing there and is yeah. like <laughs> just grilling her giving the stink eye as she shows up yeah <laughs> it was a great Alicent has this crazy look on her face it's so funny man I love that look hilarious little moment uh, and interestingly we get some cool stuff with Princess Helena at this point where she's yeah. rambling about hands turning looms spools of green spools of black dragons of flesh weaving dragons of thread and um, it's interesting talking so she's talking about how literal dragons of flesh Targaryens weaving dragons of thread combining um, it, to me it, it she seems to be, she's talking about spools of green and black. So she's talking about um, the the different factions here that are forming, mm-hmm. the blacks and the greens. And when she's talking about dragons of flesh weaving dragons of thread, it seems to me like she's talking about Rhaenyra weaving f- fake dragons, dragons of, th- of thread that aren't real dragons. In other words, the bastards, um, which kind of made me think of Aegon mm. in the books, you know, Aegon, the one that over in Essos that we were talking about, who's running around with John Connington and stuff. They call him Fagon. Some people, because they think he's not a real Aegon, that it's like a spoof. They call him the Mummer's Dragon, right? Mm-hmm. So dragons of thread could mean like something that's presenting as a dragon, but not actually a, a real dragon. What did you think of her? Um, yeah, I was monologue. trying to figure out that specific term, weaving dragons of thread. It, it, yeah, it's kind of it's perplexing. You know, last week when she said, um, Alice had told Eamon, you will have a dragon one day, and it cut the uh, to her, and she said, but he will have to close an eye. So it was like, I already knew what was ha- going to happen with Eamon um, from the books. I did remember that lo- him losing an eye in a fight with the with the strong kids. <clears throat> I mean, the Valerian kids. Um, but this, I can't figure out what this means. And then they talk about her, you know, kind of right there in front of her. And then Aegon says, uh, another wrench. And then it goes back, it goes, (laughs) it goes back to her. And she says, dragons of flesh, weaving dragons of thread. And she gets the spider in the, whatever that shell is. And just like, yeah, that was crazy. So that seems very foreboding. So I yeah I still don't know what to specifically that term dragons of thread if she's talking about banners banners for war yeah you that's know, what spools I was of green too. spool you know green war banners versus black war banners yeah dragons yeah, yeah. Of f- flesh the real dragons weaving you know their te- like you said banners their factions of war, and their team creating banners of war yeah you know, for the greens versus the blacks um, yes but yes. it seems like it may have an even deeper meaning but I don't I can't really. I think you're right about that, that, dude. I think you're right. Like a spool of green, a spool of black. They're weaving their threaded dragons of banners of war. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. But that's an interesting concept, though. Dragons of thread being, you know, uh, a fake or a mummers of dragon. Yeah, like a paper tiger, you know. <laughs> exactly. Thread, thread dragon. A dragon of thread. Yeah. So, yeah, that was pretty. Yeah, I wanted to cover that little, her little saying, because obviously it means something. Yeah. It's nothing more than, you know, the wars to come. 
Helena might be my favorite character. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) She's awesome. Loki, you know, most favorite minor character. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and Allison, I guess has been perfectly okay with betrothing Aegon to, to their daughter. Yeah. uh, Strangely protesting, despite her protesting the queer target, uh, queer customs of house Targaryen. It's like your kids are, are betrothed now. So what's up with that? Yeah, it must have been a little bit of ground that she gave to uh, Viserys. I imagine it was his idea, and um, or maybe right. even at Otto's least, idea. Like, if you yeah. do this, but that at least keeps them away from Rhaenyra's kids. Yeah, yeah, true. And from Otto's perspective, even if it's incest, it would be two true-born Targaryens being married, which would make like the ultimate royal couple in terms of the uh, the succession. And- which now right. will be rivaled by Rhaenyra and Damon being married as two trueborns. Yeah, absolutely. And it keeps House Hightower that much more powerful because yep. they're both uh, a- Aegon and uh, Rayella. What, what's her? I'm tripping on her name. Rayella? Dayella? Who? Which one? Are- the girl. Oh, Helena. Helena. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Samsonite. I was playing. <laughs> so swim, swimmy. Slippy, slappy, slimming, salmon, salmon, swanson, swanson? Maybe it's on the briefcase. Look on the. Oh, yeah! It's right here. Samsonite. I was way off. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to put that clip in now. So, marrying them two together, you know, further solidifies House Hightower's claim. On, I mean, they're half, those kids are half Hightower and half Targaryen. So them being married versus Aegon being married to uh, Lannister and, man, I'm still tripping on her name. Helena? Helena, 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 <laughs> Helena. And Helena being married to a Stark or a Martell or a Baratheon. And that kind of splits both of them being half Hightower. Mm-hmm. That sort of splits the Hightower's power into... Two separate couples. Tower of power. <laughs> High tower of power. <laughs> uh, but having them, you know, be betrothed together, you know, it creates a high tower. Yeah. And Otto has been, he has previously suggested incestuous marriages within the Targaryen family. He suggested that Rhaenyra yeah. be wed to baby Aegon back at the yeah. hand, at the tourney. Mm-hmm. Or no, not at the tourney, mm-hmm. at, at the, the, uh, the hunt. The hunt. Yeah. yeah. So, so imagine that now to Rhaenyra's char- grown-up character and Aegon being, you know, a wanker. Yeah. Uh, how those two personalities would play off each other yeah, if I, they were married now. Yeah, it'd be pretty <laughs> it'd be pretty funny. <laughs> I bet it's it's Otto's idea. I was thinking initially it'd be Viserys's idea, but he seems to be typically seeking matches outside his family whereas Otto this would be further solidifying his direct descendants in the line of succession. So I bet it was Otto pulling the strings here between the time of last episode where it ended and now he's been hired again and this this uh, betrothal is news. So I bet both of those things occurred uh, between these episodes and due to Otto being brought back, basically. Speaking of Otto, uh, I loved Raymond's little one-liner to... Uh... To Otto. Oh, Damon? Um, Damon? I think he yeah, said what Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm struggling with the names today. Everybody loves Raymond. Uh, so I love Damon's line to uh, 
Otto, he says, oh, I'm sorry for your loss, my prince. <laughs> no matter no matter how fat the leech grows, it will always it always wants for another meal. Yeah, that's that was pretty good. I love I love when people give Otto and Allison the business. Just a little verbal <laughs> just a little verbal barb and uh make uh, Zach to, happy. Yeah. Just to kind of, <laughs> and later on, after Allison and Otto have uh Oh, uh, when Otto comes to Allison after the whole confrontation with the with the dagger. Um, and he's like, you think he's going to reprimand her and say, oh, you should have done that. You're crazy. And he basically says, yeah, all that's true, but I'm kind of proud of you. Yeah, that was uh, so cool. I love <laughs> I that. I was not expecting that reaction from Otto. So I just wrote Otto is the worst. <laughs> I wrote Otto is the best. <laughs> that, yeah, that was such a cool moment. He was like, I didn't know you had this side of you in you. For, for, yeah, for a while, I doubted its existence. But now I see yeah. you have what it takes to win this battle. You know, she's like, I regret it. It's ugly what I did. And I, and I don't like it. And he's like, no, this, this fight we're in is ugly. So it sucks because, you know, she's trying to, like she says, she's dutiful and she follows the rules and everything. But she got dragged down last episode by Laris, who involved her unwittingly in this scheme. And she's like trying to get out of it. Like she regrets what she did with the knife and everything. But her dad's encouraging her. Laris is encouraging her. It's like this is her fall from grace when she ends up. Um, getting this advice from her father, it's like, you know, the Joker just needed a little push, you know? <laughs> Otto pushes her to embrace that ugliness and that bad side of herself. And it's after that that she goes to, you know, when she's on the ship heading back to King's Landing, that Laris approaches her and she says, you know, that I'm going to need a friend like you. And that basically she she lowers herself to his level and Otto's level, and she's made a conscious decision to um, forsake righteousness for deception. <laughs> and uh, it's like she's embracing like the Machiavellian attitude of the ends being justified by the means, where she's mm -hmm. willing to work with these bad people and commit atrocities potentially to save her children in the end as the desired outcome. And so, um, They've, they're making it pretty clear this episode that she's sort of taking the the low road, whereas Rhaenyra is faking the low road <laughs> by by uh, you know actually yeah. letting Lenor live. So they're definitely trying to push us towards Rhaenyra, I think, in this episode. But I love Laris and I love uh, <laughs> Otto. <laughs> they're, they're so they're so awesome and Allison. You know, oh, so. you're. You're demented. <laughs> demented D. They are. They're like Cersei and and uh, Gregor Clegane and Ramsey Bolton. I yeah, mean, they're love to hate them know, type. Thing. I, yeah, exactly. You know, they <laughs> they play you know a really compelling character that drives the tension and the drama, but it's like oh, I can't stand them. <laughs> Definitely. Speaking of Laris. It's interesting during the after party, Kristen Cole comes up to Allison and, and he's like, dude, Laris has just been staring at you this whole time unabashedly. And he's just like grinning and trying to pr <laughs> pretend like he's not grinning, but then like flickers of smile coming through his yeah. dour look. He just can't hide how pleased he is with himself for, mm -hmm. and for all of this. He's just waiting for his moment to arrive with Allison which he gets later on and uh you know he ends up being <laughs> his his dedication has gone not gone unno unnoticed as she says yeah, right bro 
So how how does Kristen Cole not realize that her and Larry Strong are on a team in cahoots? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, good question. It's going to become more them. and more obvious. I think it's got to be so. Right. So a, t- a tiny little plot hole, I think, was uh, the oldest boy of Rhaenyra says they should be at Heron Hall, and Rhaenyra's like, "Just be quiet. Don't say that." Um, for the obvious reasons, but why is Laris strong here at Driftmark instead of at Heron Hall? If if the funerals and wakes and all that are ha- happening at relatively the same time. Wouldn't it make sense for the new Lord of Harrenhal and the son and heir and brother of, of Harwin be at Harrenhal to Yeah, it seems bodies? like he has know. some kind of official position that he's in, um, though I'm not sure what, because right. he had access to the black right. cells. He had the authority to yeah. release prisoners. So he must have some sort of position that puts him in close proximity to the royalty and... Um, you know, involves his yeah, that, presence at King's Landing or something. I don't know. Right. And and even for them to travel with them to, yeah. to drift Very interesting. for Elena's funeral. Bringing but, him. You know, no, no, not, a, not a big deal. Obviously, he would rather be there with all the key players watching and learning and observing um, <laughs> instead of, like, he's got nothing to do at Heron Hall. You know, his, his dad and brother are gone. Oh, like Damon. Oh, I'm so sad. Yeah. Talking about uh, uh, his uh, late lady wife. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Raya Royce is like, oh, I'm so sad. So Don't sad. Be. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how Larry the Clubfoot feels about his brother and father. I so. want more information about their past and why he was so willing to, you know, do that. Yeah, we speculated just, about the Clegane connection and how he may have been victimized by Harwin as kids or something. But it'd be cool to get some more info on that. Maybe we'll get something. Yep, yep, yep. Um. What else you got for notes? Anything? Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, I think we covered it, but that at the after all, the, the ruse kind of comes to light, and they talk about I don't want to be a tyrant. A tyrant rules only through terror. Mm-hmm. But then the, Damon's like, if you're not feared, if the king is not feared, he's powerless. Um, and Rhaenyra's you know talks about oh they're going to whisper that uh, we were I were I was involved or we were involved and. Um, They'll wonder what else we're capable of. Exactly. That line is what I wrote down. They'll wonder what else we're capable of. And that fear, you know, will help them keep some of the lesser lords and knights in line. Yeah. And this is the difference between her and Viserys. Viserys wants to please everybody and make everybody happy. And he's worried about love and respect, but he has no, none of that fear element at all. So Rhaenyra is, is take learning from his example of embracing the fear and love and gaining people's respect and trust. But she's also learning from Damon that terror <laughs> and fear is also a, a, right. a motivating factor. So she's, she's going to have full spectrum domination of, <laughs> of the way ways of manipulating your people. Yeah, absolutely. Obey. And this, this like, sh- this is a big theme of Damon is let people think what they're going to think and use that to your advantage because he, he never really affirms or denies. Yeah. You know, anything. Pr- Prince. Prince for a day, uh, in episode one. Yep. He never really he never really tells Viserys that he didn't uh take Rhaenyra's virginity. Mm-hmm. He says, at least it was with me, you know, not some, you know, random Joe uh in a pleasure house. So I mean he even pushes yeah. Viserys to think that he did. Right. Like, wouldn't it be better um, with me instead of some rando? <laughs> yeah. Um he, you know, he lets people think that 
he was behind, you know, Rare Royce, you know, falling off of her horse. Uh, and he uses all this to like beef his rep, his reputation of being cunning and ruthless and completely um, maniacal, un, uh, maniacal and unhinged and, you know, willing to do anything. And so uh, Rhaenyra says they're in the realm will, will whisper that I was somehow responsible. And then Damon says, let them whisper. And that's right. As Rhaenys is like finding the dead, the burnt body in the oh, fireplace. No! So brutal. Um, and so Corlys she's going to turn off. against them for sure. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, if they, th- if she really thinks they did this, I think that's what they're implying by this. Right, because he already she already thinks that Damon is responsible for her daughter's death. Right, not letting you know? her come home. Yeah, so now that Damon and Rhaenyra are teaming up, I think morally she's going to have no way to be no no. To uh, back it's not them. possible to back them. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah, so House Valerion is going to split. Ooh, uh, Damon says we will know the truth of it, and our enemies won't. You know, talking about the ruse, and that and they will fear what else we might be capable of. So, you know, again, like Arya told us way back in the beginning, oh, yeah. fear, and what Sirio Pharrell told her, fear cuts deeper than swords. Deeper than swords. Deeper than cat's paw daggers, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we got an interesting moment when Viserys is, poor Viserys, you know, he gets shut down by Damon, and he's just, he's just exhausted mentally and physically, and he tells his queen, I'm going to bed, Emma. <laughs> and oh, yeah, sadly totally slipping. yeah we see that he's his mind is going hey my mind is going I can feel it my mind is going Dave um, <laughs> sadly it sucks to see what a great oh man Patty Considine just knocks this Viserys role out of the park. I had yep. like, you know, I was not expecting to be become so emotionally attached to this character, but I really love his portrayal of Viserys. And um, he really gets across, you know, he made him like relatable. So, so relatable that I, I feel so bad for him in a lot of, in a lot of these scenes, you know, it's, it's good. Really good acting. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, one other little note about that Valerian wedding ceremony at the end. I found on Twitter today that um, according to uh, Mr. Peterson, who created the language, the Valerian yeah. language from George's stuff, those are Valerian glyphs uh, that they marked on each other's foreheads uh, with the blood. And uh, fire is on Rhaenyra's forehead, the glyph that means fire, and blood is on Damon's forehead. Um, so, so badass. The dude. Valyrian, the Valyrian symbols for those two words is is what they put on each other in the middle of that ceremony. It's a pretty, pretty cool note. Yeah, really cool. Good find. Good find. Oh, I I thought of another cool uh, parallel slash reference. <laughs> Rewatching the scene where Aemond uh, takes Vagar, he creeps up and he's about to touch the rigging, and Vagar is sitting there asleep and is. His eye opens, and it reminded me of the movie The, the Land Before Time. I don't know if you, if you remember that. Oh, nice. I'm trying to think of other movies where a dinosaur or Godzilla has like woken up like that. Yeah, in, in Land Before Time, Littlefoot or whatever, the, the little Brontosaurus uh, character, mm-hmm. the lead, they find a, a, what they think is a dead sharp tooth, a dead T-Rex. 
And they, oh, I do remember that. They, it's lying on its back, with you know, with its head upside down, and they walk over to it, and its eye whoo, opens just like the, the dragon in this. I was like, oh, that's yeah. got to, you know, because he's and the the little dinosaurs are so much smaller than the giant T Rex. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was almost a direct reference to that. Amond being relatively yeah. the same size compared to the giant T Rex. Absolutely, uh, yeah. You know, or when the White Walkers pulled. Uh, was it Viserion or Rhaegal? Viserion, Viserion out of the ice. Out of the ice, and then he he reanimates him with the White Walker energy, <sighs> and his his eye opens and it's blue. He's like, oh, oh, I think that was the, the blue eye. I think that was the penultimate season seven episode. And uh, then the last episode, or no, that may have been the finale. Was that the yeah, season seven finale? I don't even blue remember. Eye? It's all a blur at this point. Because season eight, Battle of Winterfell, I think was episode three. No, they tear down the wall. That's the end of season seven. Oh yeah, and they come Valerion flying uh, and marching Valerian. south. Viserion blasts the wall, and Tormund. And we're, you're not sure if Tormund and Eric Gondarian maybe is up there. Yeah, because they have that meeting yeah. at Eastwatch by the sea. Anyway, Thoros. Yeah, is with Eric's dead. Eric. One of them Eric's died on the dying. ice. <laughs> Thoros died <laughs> on the ice. <laughs> yeah, he fr- yeah, yeah. yeah, and reanimated. Barrack one more time. I can't remember. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, yeah. So I think think the penultimate episode of season seven, the finale was they pull him out of the ice and he, the blue eye, and then it cuts to black. So, so hardcore. So, but that his blue eye coming back alive with the color of the. Yeah, same kind of shot. And their eyes is, uh, was a little bit remindful of Vagar waking up and like, Definitely, definitely. Oh, there were a couple moments in this episode where I saw some potential foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. When Alicent is trying to stab Rhaenyra, Kristen Cole moves in, and instead of Damon moving in to protect him, he he cuts off Kristen and stops him in in place. So I think that may foreten- for a shadow a potential conflict, a fight between Damon and Kristen. Two experienced combat warriors, which would be interesting. And also another bit of foreshadowing with Damon, perhaps. And I don't like this one. This one makes me nervous. <laughs> um, after having sex with Rhaenyra and everything, Rhaenyra wakes up alone in the tent underneath the, the boat. And she, uh, she kind of gets up and walks out to the beach where she finds Damon standing by the water, looking out and watching Vagar flying around. And she's like, who, who is it? Because they're wondering who took Vagar, who has the dragon now. And Damon doesn't answer, but Damon standing there watching it made me think that, it, it, to me, it foreshadowed a future fight between Damon and Caraxes against Aemond and Vagar, which is particularly sad because... Vagar and Caraxes were friends just last episode, you know, flying around with their aerial show and Pentos. And so it's going to crush my soul to see those two dragons fight if they end up having to fight with Aemond and Daemon. And Mm. I think that maybe have been foreshadowed in this scene. And I'm not, I don't remember anything from what happens ahead in the conflict of Dance of Dragons. It's all, I've all forgotten it over the past few years, but I just got a sense of that foreshadowing 
from this scene. And so, man, I'm hoping that doesn't happen because that would be, it's, it's going to have to happen. I feel like it's going to happen. It's going to suck. Mm. It's going to be awesome, mm-hmm. but it's going to suck at the same time, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's funny how, you know, like you mentioned, when Otto goes to visit, visit Alicent, she knows she fucked up and she's listing off all of her indiscretions and Otto's just like, <laughs> all true. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you could have at least like, you know, said, no, I mean, it's not that bad, but nope, you just agrees. Right. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, it sucks she's being corrupted by all of those around her, but you know, in the end, it's her own decision to to go down the the dark side with all of those bad people, you know? <laughs> I think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, interestingly, in this scene also, Otto tells her, you know, and I promise you in time, you and I together will prevail. He's like the Darth Vader figure, like getting his daughter to fight with him to, to overthrow the emperor, the king and, it, and everything. But he says, the boy was right. What that rogue Aemond has done in winning Vagar to our side, it's worth a thousand times the price he paid. And one, it's super true and holy fuck what an ominous statement that the like that they're talking about the equivalent of nukes being dropped in the future like we have the nukes mm-hmm. now and Allison seems kind of like scared anew slightly by the implications of the statement yeah. but also um a th- it's worth a thousand times what he paid so what what did he pay he paid an eye right he paid an eye so a thousand eyes for one and dragon, one. <laughs> a thousand eyes and one dragon. So it's, he's not blood Raven. He's far, you know, this is like a hundred years before blood Raven was born ish or, you know, sometime like 70 years before something like that. But I thought it was cool to get that imagery of the, of a thousand eyes and one dragon, you know, kind of referencing the blood Ravens, a thousand eyes and one uh, type of thing. So just some similar imagery in the wording that they're using. No direct connection, but eloquently stated, I thought, and cool imagery. Um, there was another moment with where after this scene, it it zooms in on a window at high, high tide. And the, it's like two windows separated by a structural beam of the building, you know, like part of the wall. And Corliss is in one window and Rainey's is in the other window. And they're divided by that by that w- piece of wall. And then Rainey is kind of like, ugh, and walks away and leaves him. And th- that imagery of them being split by that piece of wall and the two separate windows symbolizes they're uh, their drifting apart from one another and further confirms my speculation <laughs> that they're going to be splitting along mm-hmm. ideological lines. Yeah, there's similar imagery last week when Rhaenyra was in a secret passageway listening to Harwin and uh, Lord Lionel talk oh, in, yeah. in Harwin's room. Um, they were both in separate kind of windows of the way the pillars were, you know, and the way the camera was sitting. And they were like, they were at odd, you know, they were, you know, at odds with each other, and Lionel Lionel was saying how terrible it was, what he's done, and you know, casts a shadow on the family and forces him to try to resign. But of course, that doesn't work. But they end up not splitting; they go together to Heron Hall. But you know, mm, true, 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 true. <laughs> interesting, <laughs> very interesting. And so we we see three dragons escorting the royal vessel, 
We have Amond on Vagar, and the other two must be what? Aegon on Sunfire and Helena mm-hmm. on Dreamfire or something? Dreamfire, I believe, yep. Interesting, yeah. I So I think Sir Matthew Ripper, somebody in our chat, yeah, uh, I think it was Sir Matthew. Pointed out the interesting if if Helena is a dreamer, which she seems to be, with dragon dreams, and she, she flies the dragon dream fire. It's pretty epic. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Perfect, uh, perfect combo. <laughs> really cool. Uh, yeah, so really great episode overall. Lots of interesting political intrigue. Lots of movement taking place. Um, we have Allison going, taking the dark side and Rhaenyra faking the dark side. Uh, man, just so much cool stuff going on in this episode. I thought it was fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to next week. Yep, I believe. Well, this that's the tiniest bit of a spoiler, so I won't say it. Okay, I think I know what you're going to say. Because <laughs> I saw one so. still frame and, and things looked a bit different, let's say. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So th- this should be the last time that happens. Yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> All right. So, so yes. the viewers who know will understand what we're talking about. Yep. Those who don't, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's not, you're going to see it next week. But yeah. Some people don't want to see anything from the next week, so. Yeah. Like me, typically. I'm <laughs> like that. All right, stick with us, and we'll be right back after a short break. All right, let's jump into Raven's Calls. Lord Anthony J. of House Alequine says, Wow, what an episode. Twists and turns in the plot. Twists and turns, hold on for dear life, dragon riding. <laughs> That's just final. <laughs> the children are truly in the game now. For the little shit he is, the whole scene of Amond climbing Vagar was an epic moment of the season. We hadn't seen someone claim and ride a dragon and, until this point, and wow, it was great. Then we're brought back to how awful he is with his cousins and nephews. I think that's the correct familial connection. Yeah. Cousins, nephews. Yeah. Some weird stuff going on there. The hatred depicted by Alicent and wanting an eye for an eye revenge brought me back to Cersei wanting a direwolf killed for attacking Joffrey and GOT. Yeah, totally. She wanted retribution in, in, the, in the form of blood as well. And what a great plot twist at the end with Sir Lenor's fake death. It had me at the edge of my seat thinking, oh my God, Rhaenyra truly is a cold-blooded mad queen. But no, she showed the love and appreciation she's had for Lenore and set him free. This episode depicted some of the plotting and scheming that made me love Game of Thrones and keeps me truly invested into what the future holds for the series. This series. I agree. All good, all awesome stuff this episode. <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, Sir Matthew of House Rep. Uh, thanks for writing in uh, again, uh, Sir Matthew. As always. Uh, tinfoil time. The Merling King is the drowned god of the Ironborn. Ooh. We know that George R.R. R. Martin sprinkled in a bunch of Lovecraftian Easter eggs 
in the lore of his world. In the world of ice and fire, there's a manuscript written by a maester Theron uh, that says that the sea stone chair of the Ironborn and the foundation of the high tower in Old Town were built by a race of creatures called Deep Ones, <laughs> a race of half men sired by creatures of the sea upon human women. Damn. Kind of like the, uh, um, oh, you know, the sons and daughters of the uh, the giants from the um, the Bible. What are they called? A Nephilim? Yeah, kind of like the Nephilim sounds, except ocean-based. <laughs> yeah. The manuscript also says that the Deep Ones are the basis of Merlin legend, and whatever creature fathered the Deep Ones are the source of the drowned god. Hmm. Very interesting. Ironborn legend claims their gray king wed a merling to become lord over the western islands and the huh. sea beyond, seas beyond. House Valerion claims the merling king gifted them the driftwood throne. They must have a <laughs> furniture store under the sea. Under the sea. <laughs> the Baratheon's fool Patchface was lost at sea for days after the ship carrying oh, uh, yeah. Robert Baratheon's parents sank, and the fishermen claimed Merlings taught him to breathe water in return for his seed. Oh. Ew. Worth it. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> so we double back to H.P. Lovecraft and his story, Shadow Over Innsmouth, which tells of a rundown coastal town who made a pact with a sea god named Dagon, and interbred with his servants, the Deep Ones, bipedal fish-frog-looking creatures to further their line with Deep Ones, able to produce offspring with humans that mutate as they age to full Deep Ones. Dagon is the Merlin King slash Drowned God, and the Deep Ones are the half-man, half-fish of legend, but a hell of a lot uglier. <laughs> and uh, he sent, I don't know if you can get the picture he sent uh, oh, he of these like biped fish frog looking things. It's pretty oh yeah, crazy I'll put looking. it up in the video. <laughs> Thank you, Sir Matthew. Lady Amanda of House Massey says, this episode started off slow for me, but what a ride it ended up taking us on. Aemond climbing Vagar, Rhaenyra versus Alicent, Laenor's death hoax. They did an amazing job of showing how massive Vagar really is. And I was loving every second of it. Aemond claimed Vagar and got a huge ego boost. <laughs> he really thought he could take on all four of his cousins, nephews. <laughs> then dropped his mic on everyone with, I may have lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. <laughs> I'm getting little Damon vibes from him, especially when he picked mm. up that rock. Oh, yeah, true. Interesting. Can't believe we only have three more episodes, but I can't wait. Damon vibes. There they go. Another Damon Amond connection. I'm foreseeing a battle between those two and their dragons. Mm. Oh, I don't. Wanna, I don't want to see it. <laughs> I like Caraxes too much to be slaughtered by the massive Vagar. Oh man. Uh, Lord Tom of the Misty Moor says, "I'm enjoying this, although I still can't bring myself to rewatch Game of Thrones. It still hurts." <laughs> I haven't watched any Game of Thrones since season eight ended. So, and I liked the yeah, I, I liked season eight. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I understand. I think I, understand. I rewatched the finale, but other than that, I don't think I rewatched all of season eight or the whole series after it ended. I think I watched the finale two times, and that's it. Yeah, sounds about right. 
I'll have to rewatch at some point for sure. All right. And we've got a voicemail from Archmaster Stitches. Game of Microphones, the best fucking Game of Thrones, <laughs> House of the Dragon podcast out there. Thank it's you, my sir. loyal opinion anyway. <laughs> hey, it's Archmaster Stitches with our weekly feedback. That's right. The one from the Siren Isle, the one that rides the blue steel demon dragon, Yanos. Oh! <laughs> oh! It's alive! Roar. <laughs> and I get it. How does a maester ride a dragon? Well, if you haven't been paying attention, Duncan has said I got a pretty wicked audio drama with some pretty amazing doctors. So check it out, Siren Aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just another plug. No, uh, I really do appreciate it, man. I every every time you guys uh plug my projects, that makes me feel so grateful just to have you out there. Not just as this amazing show that gives all of us great insight, in-depth coverage, breakdowns of everything. Um, isn't afraid to be shrill, wants to be opinionated and that kind of thing. I love that. I love, <laughs> you know, I still don't understand how people like listen to like a podcast that's like made by the network that makes a TV show. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh, it was a great episode. Well, are you going to say it was a bad one? <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> like your job. Uh, all right. So let's, uh, again, get into uh, this week of episode seven. All right, so I'm going to get my book deviation stuff out of the way right off the bat. <laughs> I fucking love how much this thing just keeps taking the source material and just being like, yeah, that's what these uh, figureheads around the realm thought. Again, whether it's Mushroom or Maesters, but this is what really fucking happened. Yeah, that's the best. Like, they allude to maybe Damon might have had, you know, uh, a role. Corliss's son killed, but they don't like, that's it. It's not for sure that he paid uh, someone to have it done or the lover to do it or anything like that. And this show just straight up here is like, set you up thinking that's what's going to fucking happen right there by the hearth and everything. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to lean into that thing in the book being true. And then it's like, nope. How about this? Happily ever <laughs> after for finally some people in Game yeah. of Thrones, maybe. Woo. If we see them again. I kind of hope we don't. I like to leave it ambiguous like that. Yeah, me too. Uh, what's the other thing? Oh, God. Viserys, man. It's like creeping down his forehead and crawling up his cheeks. His, oh, his yeah. His twisted Westerosian fucking leprosy. Uh. <clears throat> um, <sighs> how is this fucker still alive? And imagine <laughs> going through all that... <laughs> all that hell just to turn around and be like fucking uh like a kindergarten teacher or a preschool teacher like no no children shut up shut up like some lady screaming at the kids on the bus or at recess or something like that i feel so bad for that dude i know he's he's just trying to be like another good peaceful king since he's got to live in the shadow of jaharis but God, I feel so bad for him, man. I really do. He loved his actual wife, but Me he too. was like bound by duty. And speaking of which, Duncan, uh, uh -oh. I love like your absolute disdain for Rhaenyra in the last episode. <laughs> I don't say I agree with it. I got, I got, I got some insight here. Check this out. Basically, call this Alicent the moralist and Rhaenyra the hedonist. And Ooh. I think both of them, unfortunately young girls thrust into this horrible, you know, Game of Thrones has, like, taken, like, common pleasures or common jealousy and just amplified it completely up to where you make tons of mistakes on both sides. I'm not going to sit and defend the argument. I still think that Allison covered up for a murderer, you know, and hid <laughs> secrets because 
she can see Kristen Cole as an ally and then turn around and does a repeat offense with the club foot later on in life, yeah. showing that she's <laughs> surreal in that, like, oh, I can uh, ignore horrible, horrible things as long as it may or may not benefit me in the future. Great point. Just as much as Rhaenyra is like, well, I just want to find whoever I want to love and bang whoever I want to bang and does that too and creates bastards, which is like completely shit for the realm. Um I just think, obviously, one, again, hides it under her green dress, and the other one <laughs> wears it on her sleeve and knows because you can't ignore her children. And just like, what what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, that kind of... I think they both are pieces of shit in their own way. Um, but, uh, dude, man, that that scene of now they see you for what you are, like like you're vengeful and you're jealous, and I knew it was there, and now everyone can see it. Just oh man, the the political intrigue in this in this show is just phenomenal, man. Um, I do like the fact that um, fucking the most epic fucking never ending story esque thing <laughs> happened with Amen. Oh totally. my god, I'm Vagar, dude. I like fucking yipped like I was at a football <laughs> game when he fucking took off. Like, yeah! You know, and I don't even like this character that much. But at that point, it's just a boy conquering his fears, pushing the bullies aside, and fucking claiming his birthright. Yeah. And he fucking comes in all that high, like, yeah, I got a dragon, and just like punches <laughs> some little girl in the face. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, you're still a Targaryen. Look at that. Oh. <laughs> but all in all, dude. An amazing show, amazing ride. Um, I can't wait to see what happens next. Fucking, we got Eamon one eye, guys. Fucking, and he is, you know, another second son, as y'all talked about in weeks past, that is just so much fucking better than the uh, the firstborn, you know, <laughs> very similar to Viserys, uh, Daemon dynamic, as, you know, it seems, it seems is going to unfold between those two. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I love the fact that they're just taking whatever they want from the book and just like, you know what? That's Those are good footnotes. Anyway, we're going to step over here. Uh, <laughs> great shit. Great follow-up as always. Again, thank you guys so much for plugging Siren Aside and hearing The Haunted. And I uh, can't wait to hear what y'all have in store for this one. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Beauty. <laughs> great feedback. Archmaster Stitches, always great to hear from you. <laughs> yes, sir. Thanks so much. I love the uh, the moralist versus hedonist concept. Mm-hmm. That was a really great way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, thanks again for sending your voicemail. Always look forward to it. All right, that's our show, episode 127. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks so much. A huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. And another huge thanks to our epic patrons on Patreon, Sirenicide, Lord John of House Grills, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lord Jeremiah of House Becker, The Last High Gardener of High Garden, Sir Corey Eugene of House Con. And thank you to our newest Patreon, Lady Naya of House Thrice. She sends a message along with her patronage saying, Glad you're back. Hi, Sir Duncan. You have a great on-air personality and have a knowledgeable and cleanly edited podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. (laughs) 
I do spend a lot of time editing. <laughs> I hope to assist in keeping this podcast alive. Oh, and also, while I was playing catch-up, you mentioned about translating High Valyrian in one of your episodes. There's a language learning app that I use called Duolingo. I just so happened to see that folks can learn High Valyrian on it. That's pretty cool. Nice. <laughs> Thanks for the cool information, Lady Naya. And thank you so much for your patronage. Leave some feedback next week. I'd love to read it on there. Absolutely. On another note, if you guys like my take on things, you might be excited to learn. I'm working on a new project of my own. An all-original novel screenplay hybrid called The Core Saga. I'll give you guys some more information on that coming soon. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping, then go on over to gameofmicrophones.com, scroll down to the bottom, and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of GOM. And make sure to check out Sirenicide and Hearing the Haunted, the epic serialized and anthology horror drama podcasts featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. You guys will love it. Next episode, we'll be covering House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 8, Lord of the Tides. And to remind oh, you... snap. Corliss! <laughs> yeah, it's going to be Valerian-related. What's going to happen with Corliss? Yeah, something something's going on. Just to remind you guys, we'll be recording on Monday afternoons, so make sure to send us your feedback as quickly as possible following the show's airtime so we can include your thoughts on the podcast. If you'd like to call us, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. And we promise Kristen Cole hasn't bludgeoned our telephone number to death. <laughs> if you'd like to write in, you can send a raven at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Make sure to join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. Each week, we'll be posting a feedback thread where you can leave your thoughts and comments on new episodes for us to read on air. Imp slap! You could also watch Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, Rumble, and Odyssey. Audio podcasts are great, but video is better. And we're currently trying to build our tiny, minuscule subscriber count. I think we have 300 subscribers on YouTube right now. So go to youtube.com slash Game of Microphones and subscribe to our show. Likes, comments, and shares are appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. I should have forbidden Sir Harwin from returning to the Riverlands. Heron's curse is said to be as strong now as it was after the conquest. That's a ghost story. One Sir Otto and the Queen would gladly exploit. I do not believe Alicent capable of cold murder. Hmm. Each of us is capable of depravity, and more than you would believe. I believe it of you. 
if you're accusing me of some depravity, you'll need to be more specific. So protect the king. Um, I typically think of wakes as before the wedding. Or be, I say I keep saying wedding. That's right. I'm about to ride you. Gurm would stretch it out for twelve seasons, just the dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Damon and Caraxes go flying through it. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I thought you were frozen for a second, but you were just standing really still. <laughs> and then do eighteen seasons of Aegon's Conquest. But you know. <laughs> It kind of feels awkward. Yeah, he doesn't deny that he's depraved. He's like, yeah. which depravity are you speaking of? <laughs> yeah, Be more specific. Like, bro. So good. Uh, yeah, totally weird. <laughs> Takes creepy uncle to a whole new level. Yeah. Oh, shit, I fucking hit a button and <laughs> lost my place. God damn. Uh, my number two is Allison is... <clears throat> Let me try it again. <clears throat> you're, you're sending... You're not letting me speak the truth here. <laughs> <laughs> You're sending a, a, a cough. Giving you a force uh, choke. Uh, <laughs> uh, my number two is Allison is crazy. Kristen Cole baited <clears throat> Har- Sir Har- Lord, uh, Sir Harwin. Har- Sir Har- Lord, uh, Har- Sir Har- Lord, uh Obviously, word's going to get out that the queen attacked the knife. You said attacked the, the, the knife. <laughs> the uh, queen attacked the knife. <laughs> yeah, so word's going to get out. Uh, Halfling. Yeah, Halfling King, Merling King. Halfling Same type King. of... Yeah, uh, that sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, onomatopoeia. It's not onomatopoeia. <laughs> I just like saying it's that word. It's a cool word. I <laughs> can't blame you. All Lucerus was trying to do was help Eamon get the sand out of his eye. <laughs> with the, 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 with the, the knife. <laughs> so he's trying to slash that sand right out of his eye. <laughs> no, you know, so... Oh, oh my, oh my. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to put that clip in now. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so, there's a helicopter landing. I can't. Get to the chopper. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all good. Merlings taught him to breathe water in return for his seed. Oh. Ew. <laughs> Worth it. Worth it. <laughs> Comes in all in that high, like, yeah, I got a dragon, and just like punches some little girl in the face. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, you're still a Targaryen. Look at that. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.